fanficmedia.com presents Beyond the Wall, a Game of Thrones podcast. With hosts Christiana Ellis, Chuch Schubert, Vivid Muse, and Nookchus. Welcome, everyone, to Season 5 of Specfic Media Presents Beyond the Wall. Tonight, we're discussing Episode 3 of Game of Thrones, titled High Sparrow, with no spoilers past the currently aired episodes. I'm Chooch, and as always, I'm joined by the gorgeous Christiana Ellis. Hello! The <laughs> opulent Nukjus. Hello! And my exquisite Vivid Muse. Oh, I was wondering what you were going to pull out there. <laughs> nice. We do have a, I have a couple quick news bits for um, Specfic Media and this show specifically. We've been added to the Stitcher radio network. So I know a lot of people are starting to use that to consume podcasts. So we're over there now. If you have other shows there and it's more convenient, then by all means, switch up your feeds. Stitches. <laughs> I've added a uh, merchant merchandising section to the Specfic Media website. You go to specficmedia.com slash merch, and you can hit a customizable store. So you can pick T-shirts and buttons and coasters and anything, basically. And we have different designs on there that you can choose from and create your custom gear. One of them is the Christiana's quote from the last episode. <laughs> I have a complicated relationship with Dario Naharis. <laughs> Excellent. I love that there's the silhouette of his sword with yeah. the on top. <laughs> so you can print that on any kind of stuff you want. Good design, Chooch. Well you. done. And uh, let's see, Game of Thrones news. It's kind of late now, but um, those leaked episodes are running out. But apparently... Mm -hmm. People who watched them, HBO may be coming after them. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. How would they do that, though? Well, apparently, they, well, basically, they tracked down the torrents, tracked down the IP addresses, and um, sent notices to the company, the, the cable companies or, or hmm. telecom companies wow. of people of infringers. So they have not threatened legal action yet. But they urged the telecoms to warn their customers. <laughs> so there's a Huffington Post article I'll link to where they uh, have an email that somebody had received from ISP Bell Canada. Someone in the apartment Ooh. downloaded this. <laughs> and it has title, Game of Thrones, blah, blah, blah. And their IP address and BitTorrent hashes. So I mean, have you guys attention. seen... Have you seen Citizen 4? Or is, am I the only one that's afraid? <laughs> we don't, I mean, we don't, that was like condition of the proposal of marriage was okay, but no illegal downloads. I'm not losing my house. Because that's when the RIAA was suing people for like billions of dollars, college students and yeah. single moms. So, you know, I made him, he's, I mean, he is, we are legit and all that stuff, but we got, um, I got some cease and desist from people that gave, Somebody they gave the wrong email address to their cable company yeah. that was downloading, what was it, honey? Some Lady Gaga thing or something like that yeah. that I, I had already downloaded legally. It was a Comcast, you know? and we're like, we're not even in a Comcast territory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so there, I mean, there are people watching. It's just a matter of whether or not, mm -hmm. like Chooch says, anybody cares enough to put all the little connections together and track people down. 
or if it's even legally enforceable, really. Yeah. Well, that too, honey. But you know, that's what courts are for, not my little brain. <laughs> yeah. But well, I, I too, see it for me. It's, it's I, I'm less worried about actual prosecution and more just that in general, I believe that if I enjoy content, I should pay for it. And not to say something that's actually given away for free can't be enjoyed. I just, of right. course, mean that I absolutely I, I don't believe in pirating stuff. I'm not overly judgy for people that do, but I choose not to do it myself. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, I actually found myself getting kind of annoyed that I, I was watching Orphan Black on Space.ca, and I was like, why aren't there any ads? Shouldn't there be ads? Shouldn't I be watching ads? <laughs> and and everyone I was talking to was like, why are you complaining? I'm like, well, because I want them to continue to give me Orphan Black online because I don't have a TV. Mm. So why aren't there ads? Just, don't um, your taxes pay for it? <laughs> What'd you say? Don't your taxes pay for it? Not for space. Not for the Space Channel. That's that's a uh, that's part of Global, I think, um, which is a collection of. TV stations, cable stations. Um, but it's interesting that the Huffington Post had a Bell Canada ISP thing notice because a lot of Canadians think that they are exempt from these rules. Now, the difference is that the rules are a lot more flexible mm-hmm. in the sense that um, in Canada, you are able to rip your own digital copies and do whatever you want with your stuff as long as you still own the physical media, even if it gets scratched up to whatever, to tarnation. Whereas in the States, there's no specific laws saying that you can do that, that you can make as many copies and do what you want with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, not that I'm ultra educated in this. In fact, I may have bunch of the details wrong, but uh, it's certainly true that there is some international enforcement of this stuff. I mean, the Pirate Bay was based in what? Norway, I think? Mm-hmm. And a bunch of them got arrested, didn't they? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. I just really hope that they got the people that shared it. Mm. Oh, right. The original well, sharers, because that, that was really, that's what started it all, right? And that's usually the that, targets, yeah, as the leaker. One of the, uh, depending on how they do the screeners, they may have better luck with that because, um, at least with Oscar movie screeners, I believe that they have these little, um, these things that they do where on, like it'll, like it'll be on just one frame at a specific spot, but it'll be a specific pattern of dots that is a unique code to who Mm -hmm. that screener is being sent to. Yeah. That, that would indeed be very cool. Because I know that there was a watermark and they blurred the watermark. Mm. But it'd be very cool if there was a single frame in there and that they're like, dude, we gave you a screener and you leaked this. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that said, it's all, sorry, I don't mean to keep us yeah. on this. <laughs> That's fine. But what, what it also might be is there might be a little bit of wink, wink, nudge, nudge enforcement here in the sense of like, Okay, we get it, you guys. Look, we have to make a fuss about this. We have to say something. We can't just let it slide. But how hard are we trying, really? (laughs) That's all speculation on my part, though. Inside information. That kind of goes along with, I forget the guy that said it, but one of the, I think it was one of the two big guys, if not someone else that worked on Game of Thrones a couple of years ago saying, you know, because they talked about how it's the most illegally downloaded show there is. And they said, look, 
that's the best advertising we could get. And yeah, we'd rather you pay for it, but at the same time, because so many people are downloading it, everybody is watching it and it's become a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we'll see. <laughs> Another um, political area, the White House Correspondents' Dinner here in the U.S., <laughs> Had a yes. very funny moment and had a Game of Thrones reference thrown in. Um, there's a Kean Peel character that uh, is the anger translator to the president who expresses the things the president can't really say. And in the skit, so I grabbed the uh, the clip when they're talking <laughs> about campaign finance. And it's not just Republicans. Hillary will have to raise huge sums of money too. Oh yeah. She gonna get that money. She gonna get all, all the money. Khaleesi is coming to Westeros. <laughs> That's uh, quite a cultural impact. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, yeah. For that to be said over President Obama's shoulder. I mean, it's <laughs> well, the Keen Peel guys are our big Game of Thrones fans before yeah. the season started, they had a big skit where they had some of their valet characters doing a sum of yeah. plot so yeah. far. Yeah. Those guys are so funny. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I just, we're just thrilled to have comedy central back. I'll get all, all of a sudden for no reason that we can understand other than yay. Um, <laughs> so we're catching up on all of that, that we we've missed for, since we moved in here, we haven't had comedy central. So we missed all of broad city season two and, Oh, it's just traumatizing. But yeah, they really do a great we're job on that. And I, I was very impressed that they got chosen by Obama. That skit got chosen, you know, pretty cool. <laughs> Very cool. And I guess real quick, we have, there was a piece of feedback. I think it was on the website or on YouTube. Hi, guys. It's Mark in the UK, though not listening live. Yeah, it was YouTube. <laughs> Just thinking about last week's discussion about Mance Raider being miscast, and I was wondering who you would cast. So I guess that was the one before last. I always pictured Mark Shepard mm. as Mance. Not really based on how he was described. It's just Romo Lampkin popped into my head. I'm not I, sure who that is. I wouldn't have cast him myself, but I could see it just because I love Mark Shepard. So I missed the conversation. I missed, I wasn't well that night. So what was the, I haven't been able to watch it. What I was the conversation? I couldn't recall anybody saying Mance was miscast. No, we said that um, Mance is nothing like as he's described in the books. Oh, okay. Yeah, I feel like that's less a problem with the actor and more just with what they're giving Mance to do in in the show. Yeah. He's just he's not able to, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the book with that character that we just don't see in the in the show and I think the actor would have been up for it just fine but they've they've just really kind of changed the character in the show and I don't really think that's the actor's fault. Well, again, I think the actor is fantastic and he's doing great with what he has, but in my head the way that I envision him, he's much more handsome, much more charismatic, much more charming. He's described as a singer, you know, and and you wouldn't expect him to be leading the armies of right. of wildlings but <laughs> the guy that they've cast yeah i could totally believe that because he's very regal and authoritative 
Um, to me, I think I would have cast, and I don't remember the actor's name, but he played Chaucer in A Knight's Tale, and he plays Jarvis. You guys Paul know Bettany. That's it, him. <laughs> I think he would have been a great manserator. Hmm. Hmm. Well, we, we're talking English actors because that's what they're casting, right? Uh, they've got some American actors. Peter they've got Dillage a few. American. They've got a few. They've got a few. Hmm. hmm. I'll have to think about it. I think that uh, Paul Bettany is good. He's a good start. For, um, for more of what I envisioned of Mance Raider as well. Yeah, but, I don't think of him as imposing enough. But. Right, right, right. There's like a, a, a raggedy character. Sorry. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, my point is that, like, to me in my head, Mance is not imposing. He's just, he, he's a complete misdirect of what you expect. Hmm. I always thought of him as the kind of guy who can just turn it on and off like a switch. Mm. Okay. But uh, anyway, like, at least as far as I'm concerned, it's certainly true that showmance was not really the same as bookmance, but I feel like that's, it's, it's, they, they cast the right actor for the showmance that they wanted. Not, it, I don't think it's a miscast issue. Well, and that was, I mean, you know, I've, I kind of, did a throwaway comment last week about I've got this whole thing about Ned Stark and Mance Raider and that I would love to have a conversation about. And I think that be, for those reasons that I think I'm, I'm, I have no regrets that they didn't cast somebody that's more like the book because it's made me looking at John more, his choices more impactful. Like I'm considering them more because to, just to get down to it, just real briefly, um, my, you know, my main, you know, Ned Stark raised him. Honor, 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 honor. You do not break your word. You do not break your vow. Honor, honor, honor. Went on this thing, dragged his family along. All hell broke loose. And at the very end, he turned to save himself and was still lost. And... Mance has been for the people, for the people, for the people. What's best for the people is more important. I don't care what's right, what, you know, necessarily. It's like the only rule that Mance has is that he won't bend his knee to another Mm. man. Otherwise, he's going to take out every brother of the watch. He's going to take out every person in the north. He's going to kill everybody he has to to save his wildlings. And to me... It's just been this interesting dichotomy where Ned always chose honor until the end, which John doesn't know. John probably doesn't know that his dad, what? Well, I I don't know. My, I just, the way you're characterizing Ned's decision, I mean, I would agree that he lied, but I don't think he, he didn't do it for himself. He did it because his daughters were still in King's Landing. Well, yeah, I mean, but it was for, it wasn't for the good of Westeros. It was for personal reasons. It was because he wanted to ensure his daughter's safety, which, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, well, it's right. I just, I, I, I can see what you're saying. Yeah. That's all. And that, and that from Mance, he learned the value of life over the value of honor because he had to learn with his time with the wildlings. You don't get to pretend to have honor. You're with us now. You're a brother that turned. That makes you a really shitty, shitty person. And so he learned how to live with shame of not honoring something. And so he's torn between honoring the oath and saving all these lives. And, and I just think it's interesting the impact that the both that Ned and Mance have had on them because I think that they've added weight 
and maturity to his decisions. And I'm seeing that in him now. And it's only been since he's been with Mance and learned lessons from, you know, how they survive and everything like that. And how, yeah, honor's great, but it doesn't feed the kids at night when they're starving and screaming in the winter. So I, that's just kind of my thing. I'm just like fascinated by it. Um, before we move on, just since Ned was brought up uh, to take that serious discussion and turn it all into a joke, please. Uh, it came up in Twitter. I was complaining. This is related to the show, The Flash, which I won't get really into spoilers, but one of the running themes through the whole season has been um, Detective Joe West insisting that nobody tell his daughter Iris who The Flash is. Mm. And that is the thing that bugs me the most about that show. And uh, in any case, I was complaining about it on Twitter. And uh, shoot, I'm not even remembering who it was now. I can look this up. Uh, someone on Twitter was uh, telling me Ned Stark uh, would have done the honorable thing and, and told her. Um, and I said, yes, he would as soon as he gets back from King's Landing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Just as soon, right after he has that conversation with John about his mother. <laughs> yeah. Um, it may have been, uh, let's see. It was Pat. Oh, it was Pat, I think. Yep. Yes, it was. It was Pat. Hey, Pat. <laughs> By the way, I, I snagged a question that Novellus posted, I think, on Facebook that we can discuss at the end of the episode. I think it'll fit better when we get to it in the timeline of the episode, if you yeah. guys agree. Well, and it's actually um, right at the beginning because the episode starts. We have the opening sequence, and there's still no Dorn. There is, oh, however, dang. Moat Kalen of all we places. We don't actually see. We went, we no, went, we did. We we saw it for like three seconds. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Like we see it for three seconds. There's no actual scenes there. It's yeah. just a matte painting, a beautiful matte painting. But I'm, I was like, ooh, Moat Kalen, very cool animation. All right, where's Dorn? No Dorn. Okay, yeah. so we'll get a scene at Moat Kalen. Nope. <laughs> yeah, that was bizarre. You did. Was... You got a shot of Mo of Moat Kalen. You at least saw right. Moat Kalen as they were approaching it and blah, blah, blah. We actually had a scene in yeah. Dorn last time and no Dorn so in uh, credits. But Although, well, we may get more, but I'm just thinking it's also true that we actually may get more scenes in Moat Kalen later. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a question. Any idea where Moat Kalen is? Any significance? Um, I remember it kind of. Thank you, Nettie. I had that in my notes to but ask no. him when yeah, we got to it. Yeah. Like, if you didn't read the books, would you even care about Moat Caleb? Would seeing this beautiful matte painting make a difference? And then, of course, you'd probably have the same thought that I did. Oh, the next scene we see Sansa and they're at Moat Caleb. No, no, that's that's my path. <laughs> but at least it puts it on the map because we actually do. We he he has heard of Moat Caleb before. He just mm -hmm. doesn't remember the context. So. Yeah. All right. So let's get started. Let's. Let's go, baby. Let's start this. So, uh, well, I mean, so we jumped straight to the House of Black and White, and mm -hmm. I thought that was the natural place for Nobilis's feedback because we enter the, um, I don't know what you call it exactly, but we um, see all these. The House of Black and White? Well, I mean, yeah, I'm not sure that they have a sub name for the room. Yeah. yeah. So you see all of the various gods. So there was that. Burning Hearts, that was the Lord of Light, right? That was an aspect of the Lord of Light, yes. 
And <laughs> Don't get tricky, here. Nutty. Nutty. Yes. Yes, for the TV show, yes, it's yeah. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's also like I. I don't think there. It, at least, if there's anything sneaky about it, I didn't get it. Um, yeah, I just mean that what you see there are all of the aspects of death from different religions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the stranger and the 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 dark burning thing, and then there's another one, the drowned, uh, the drowned god. god, the right. drowned god, the weirwood face. Yeah, yeah, and and there's actually more symbolism mm-hmm. in the TV show than there was in the books, which is kind of neat. And so when Arya says, well, what about the many-faced god? That's their god. Their there god is, is only the god one god. The many-faced god. And his name is death. And there is only one thing we say to death. Mm. Not today. Yeah. Mm. That was a perfect placement. <laughs> yeah. In a while since Syria. In a while. Yeah. So any, any any thoughts in this scene other than uh, I, cool, I wasn't able to rewatch it, and so I don't necessarily remember what might have been in the first scene versus the next scene with those characters. I kind of just remember like all of the stuff with Arya this time. Sure. So I think this first scene was just kind of the well and what is that and what's yeah. going on here. What do they do at this place other yeah. than apparently train assassins? Yeah. Salvation yeah. in a cup, yo. Kill assassins. Mm-hmm. Apparently, mm-hmm. and we find out that she's going to have to work really, really hard to get her vengeance on her four at this way because she's been sweeping for days, and it's like, mm-hmm, and it's like the full Miyagi, yeah. <laughs> yes, the full Miyagi. <laughs> Wax on, exactly. Bitch. Have to sweep the floors because that's 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 a move that you have to do as a faceless right. man. Yeah. You have to go like, Whoosh. it's like <laughs> slitting the throat of a sleeping person. That's what it is. Whoosh. Well, the the best assassins are the ones that pretend to be the help, and so no one notices them. That's mm-hmm. why they thought that ninjas were so sneaky and scary, when really it was mostly just the help being hired to to kill people. Sutterfuge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Talking about Sutterfuge, King's Landing, mm. the vile hive. Of, no, so we have a beautiful day, <laughs> Tommen's wedding. Yeah. We well, we have the, the carriages first. Carriages the, the going little... through. Yeah. Which I was mm. thinking possibly the hardest days of day of Cersei's life. So far. I had to Pretty wonder rough. if she was hearing all these people yell Marjorie, Marjorie, if she was reminded of her own wedding day or if she's just brooding about the prophecy and yeah. pissed that they're and calling it... to Marjorie. It seems to be a lot harder on her than when Joffrey was getting married. Like, uh, Joffrey well, yeah, she, wasn't so hard, but Tommen, that's her baby. Well, and she was in control, and uh, she, at least she, in her mind, was in control of a lot of things, so it was like getting what she wanted, you know? It was more power, more money coming into the bank of the city, and with, with mm-hmm. the Terrell wedding anyways. But yeah, yeah. she's, she's a sad a, panda. There's a lot more, yeah, concrete stuff the things were more stable then plus i think there's also the element that you know with joffrey there was less of this sense of um marjorie's going to poison him away from me mm-hmm. um with tommen that seems like she she's got a way to do that that might work exactly and and um, I didn't really intend the uh, implication of that, that uh, yeah. I was uh, nutty <laughs> laughing. 
Um, but it, but it happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another reason they had to age Tom and up a little bit. Mm-hmm. It was still creepy. Mm. Such a sweet I, boy. Yeah. I thought that was creepy <laughs> pillow talk at, after yeah. consummating. Well, and they didn't mention a single one of the dishes at the wedding feast. What the hell? Nutty. What We were waiting, weren't we? I, we don't even know if they I had know. pigeon pie. He I know. How many courses? Thank God that wasn't the contest this week. You don't think those were leftovers? <laughs> well, we have to also remember that there was, on the big, there was a whole big thing about how the last wedding was costing a fortune mm-hmm. and then that didn't go very well and now everything's uncertain and Taiwan is dead I think everybody is kind of saying okay let's let's just get this one done <laughs> yeah and we're out and they're banging yeah. done yeah, yeah. yeah I, I agree it was creepy but it's also you see uh how you know gracious and kind she was afterward after mm-hmm. the awkward oh my god because it's like, ooh, sex. And it's like, oh, my God, it's Tom, and I'm so grossed out right now, you know. But um, it it also demonstrated, like, you know, her kindness and her grace and, and all of that stuff. But she also showed her intelligence and her wit. And you really see Olena there, I think, um, because she's like, does it sound, does, being, does Queen Marjorie sound strange to you? Because he's a kid. He doesn't, like, get, this is the third time she's been called Queen Marjorie that we know of. <laughs> I mean, this is just as far back as we know so far. I'm assuming that's all. But, you know, it, um, and I thought that it was really charming the way that Tom had interpreted that um, Cersei was being unhappy there because, he said to trust no one in King's Landing, and his interpretation is, oh, she doesn't like it here, not trust no one. You know, he's so innocent because she spent all of her time and energy on Joffrey, and so he doesn't see, he doesn't see his, Tommen doesn't see his mom as very necessary. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's used to her not being around or being distracted or only paying attention to him when it's time to give him some poison because they're about to be stormed. <laughs> well, it's, that. we also, uh, you know, have Marjorie just at his side all the time, just, you know, walking behind him through the uh, courtyard and mm-hmm. waving hi at Cersei and then just saying, oh, your mother, she just looks so, so mm-hmm. sad. And and we see how good Marjorie is at this manipulation game. Yeah, she's very because good. Because she's mm-hmm. supportive of Cersei and caring and thankful that Cersei's here because she's been such a delight and such a wonder and all these wonderful things and she just cares about her and i love it oh you you know i (laughs) go ahead i want to hear your thoughts on it uh well that's the um i hate that we don't talk about this until we record well their conversation later her conversation well, with Cersei later. I mean, it was kind of like a long scene with them, wasn't That's it? True. It was. Yeah, they kind of followed straight through. Yeah. Yeah, it was like Cersei, and then and then Cersei Tommen and Tommen, Marjorie yeah. banging, and then That's then Tommen with Cersei, and then Cersei with Marjorie. So I thought we could just yeah, we've kind of gone through two but of those was, already. It was clear, you know, the pillow talk. She's setting her hooks deep in, and 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 you know, his yeah. hopes and dreams, and I love sailing and connecting and. You know, oh, what about your mom and all that? And then immediately when she goes, Cersei comes to talk to her, she just jumps straight in. I mean, the the greeting, the wine in the morning, talking about the sex, what do I call you now? I mean, (laughs) yeah, because like offensive. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. It was, you know, it's 
super it's like the supportive only in the most superficial possible way that I don't think anyone present really reads that way. You know what I mean? Because right. it's, it's much more of the, oh, look, you've come and you, you brought the dagger already and you've just, you've already inserted it into your chest. I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Let me just twist it a little bit for you. Oh, isn't that better? Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. <laughs> no, I was, what I was talking about is when she's talking to Tommen though. Oh, right. Tommen's got no way to know what her game is. Mm -hmm. And she knows that she can't fool Cersei this way because she's already tried with the, shall I call you mother when they were, when she was betrothed to Joffrey Mm -hmm. and that just didn't work. And Cersei shot her right down. So she knew, she knows she can't. So now she just politely says you're a drunk and unimportant and you know, Oh, I and was, you're going to be a grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I, Tim Dodge in the Q&A says what I was just going to say, which is, do we call you queen mother or the dowager queen? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I thought, it, I thought it was interesting when um, Tommen was with Cersei and they were walking together and Cersei was trying to make her little digs, you know, oh, she's such a doll. She's always smiling. Is she intelligent? I can't really tell. And then she <laughs> immediately finds out just how intelligent Marjorie is because he, Tommen immediately says, I don't think you're happier here. I think you should go back to King's to, um, Casterly Rock and you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's because you've said this and because you've said this and it's because you've said this. And it's kind of like, he knows exactly where that came from. And that's Mm -hmm. why she went to Marjorie next. And it's like, this kid is just so totally manipulated by the two vaginas in his life that he just (laughs) is like lost a little kitten. But, I mean, he's a, he's basically a teenager, a teenage boy. So we know which vagina he's going to end up listening the most to. So I have a question for you guys. What mm-hmm. did you think about Cersei in that scene with Marjorie? Because obviously we just talked about what Marjorie was doing there mm-hmm. that, you know, oh, so helpful, nice twisting. But Cersei, at least to me, seemed like she was feeling maybe a little bit a little bit beaten, like maybe yeah. I should actually try to play nice a little bit. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know, I, but I wasn't sure. What do you guys yeah. think? I think like she's, she's up to something. Oh, go ahead, Sorry, Judy. Go ahead. I think she's up to something. I think that she's setting something in motion. As we know here later on, she's sending notes to Baelish and, and who knows what else. Now that could just be her flailing, casting lines and, and you know, mm-hmm. going down. But I'm thinking she's going to do something that's going to force Marjorie to come to her. Yeah, I I mean, the way I read it is that certainly after that scene, she was. But I was thinking of it, at least how it played to me, um, was that in going to see Marjorie, she was maybe actually thinking maybe I need to offer up a little bit of an mm. olive branch here. Maybe yeah. we need to try to have this calm down because I'm a little bit worried that I'm going to lose. Yeah. And I need to maybe try to settle this a little bit better. But then when Marjorie acted the way she did, Cersei left thinking, okay, yeah. no, that's not going to work. I need to do something. Christiana, I agree with you. I think she looked very sincere before and after she went in. So, you know, and I think Cersei deserves every little bit of it. And Cersei knows she deserves it. But I still felt sympathy for her because she's lost literally 
every other reason that she lived for for so fiercely her oldest son her daughter now all she's got left is her son and she's just trying to hold on to some little piece of his life and i honestly i honestly felt like i thought less of marjorie because she really didn't need to be that cruel she didn't have to keep bringing it back but it was it was about revenge it was about all the little digs that cersei had made when she was in power Mm-hmm. And I just thought Marjorie was above that. And I and I know that Olena would have risen above it. Olena. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just for the, for the, I mean, who the hell cares? Why keep digging the knife? She wins. Marjorie wins. She won. And she's young, mm-hmm. too. She's young and she's fought long and hard to get here. But it's just like, you know, honey, you haven't had a really good run. This is your third her- husband and this is the first one you've actually had sex with. You slow your roll. You know, yeah. you haven't really achieved anything yet. And all of her friends were there. <laughs> Tim Dobbs yeah, did so I mean, agree especially... with Christiana saying Cersei looked off balance. Yeah, oh, yeah, she did. Yeah. So, did Marjorie oh, no. look like someone who had had sex for the first time? Oh God, no! <laughs> no, officially she was deflowered because we all know about Renly, hmm. and well, Joffrey we... didn't have time, so therefore. Well, and we had previously had the discussion with Sansa where there was that whole bit of, um, yes, uh, you know, how would you know? It's like, oh, I, you know, I hear things. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That Sorry, to me God. is one of the big things because it's, it's a question in the books, you know, is mm-hmm. Marjorie's virtue. And every time I see something like that, I'm like, yeah. Because I really think that, in the show, Marjorie is a real character. Mm-hmm. And in the books, because we don't really have her point of view Mm-mm. and we don't have enough scenes with her, she's not really a real character. So you're only guessing. You yeah. only see her through like Cersei's eyes and yeah. a couple of other, other characters. Eyes, but really, it's mostly through Cersei's eyes. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's all speculation here, guys. Yeah. But well, I like her in the show. I, I like, like her for the first time in this show. I mean, I didn't ever like the actress before this this show but she's really hit her stride with this character yeah i i like her too um the thing that i i i thought was interesting about what you said viv is while i think it would be certainly if we wanted to talk about like what is the morally right thing to do what is the ideal of good behavior to do Mm -hmm. but i don't think marjorie's above it at all i think she is totally excited to finally have something up on on Cersei. Oh yeah. And I think she is absolutely thrilled to twist the knife. I don't she think is. she's above it at all. I'm that's what that's what my point is is that I'm realizing that she wasn't above it. Hmm. And that I thought I thought of her more of an Elena who would have found a way to no, now come on Christiana, she would have she would not have been short-sighted. Elena is not short-sighted. She it's would have put thought into the fact that she was married a minute ago and the dude was killed. It's I mean, the difference what? between being more more subtle and being above it. Yeah. I don't think Elena would have been so obvious. I don't think she would have been above it. I, I just, I don't know. That's just my opinion. <laughs> I thought that I, I was disappointed in Marjorie. She was not Elena enough for me. Yeah. Well, or, she's definitely learning yeah. to be Elena. Mm-hmm. I think we'll she's see. learning. And I think um, getting back to right the now she's about, a little <laughs> getting back to the question about uh, Cersei being off balance. Um, I really think that Cer- 
say has learned her lesson that she really should have been playing the game. She used to play the game and then she kind of went off her rocker and was like, screw that. I'm going to have fun and tell people exactly what I think. And then her son died and her dad died and she lost her lover and she lost her daughter. And now her son's married to this woman that she thinks is going to replace her. Mm. So she realized, oh, shoot, maybe I should play the game a little more. And he's continuing to push that because at the end she says, anything, anything you need. Mm. I I mean, I, I mean, coming at it from a mom standpoint, um, you know, you got one kid, we've got three kids in three states. We were having this conversation earlier, three kids in three states, you know, so like you're always trying to be near one of them, <laughs> you know, and she can't go live in Dorn for obvious reasons. Joffrey's dead. That leaves Tom and she knows Marjorie's going to ship her off as soon as she can. I can understand her wanting to hang around, whether it's game related or not on a personal level. She's got two kids left and only one she can be near. So I think that's where the at least more believable acting, if not um, sincerity in Thursday's um, olive branch, so to speak, at the mm-hmm. beginning of that one scene with her and Marjorie. But I don't know. What do you think, Chooch? I don't know. I'm, I, I wonder if... I. I Part of me still thinks maybe she's plotting something and, and that's why she's planting the seed of was going there and planting the seed of if you need any, anything. And I think Marjorie, other than being young, seemed to be a theme through this episode of how beat the Lannisters are. Yeah. And it may be that they just mm. feel, you know, she's a Lannister and they're they're done. And so they don't need to look forward and think about them. Um, I don't think it's public knowledge necessarily that they're broke, but you Mm -hmm. know, that Tywin was, was held everything together and everything else is just going to fall apart. Yeah. Kevin, Kevin made that very clear before his exit last, Mm -hmm. last episode. Mm -hmm. Took his ball and went Um, home. I feel like I'm being contrary this evening. I, I want to disagree a little bit with Nutty now. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's not that, well, okay, maybe I'm agreeing with you in a different way. <laughs> um, She'll agree with you, but she won't concede well, it. <laughs> in the sense that Cersei is changing her game up. But I feel like it's not so much that she feels like, oh, I've not been playing the game and now I need to start doing it again. I feel like it's a little bit more of I've been struggling to play the game while under the pains and restrictions that everybody else keeps trying to put on me, including and especially my father, Tywin. But you know what? He's dead now. Now I'm going to play the game my way. And I think that's where she's at now as opposed to feeling like she wasn't playing before. I feel like she's she's feeling like, okay, well, the rules I was following before are no longer valid. Now I'm going to do what I want. Mm. Interesting. We may see yeah. if it's too late. Well, it's like <laughs> Cersei had a moment of it, and, and Marjorie's in a moment, or whoever, whoever, I don't know, however many years they're going to be married. I don't know. I can't remember book four <laughs> and I lost my tablet so I can't read anymore so <laughs> by the way I meant to tell you guys I'm going to be a little oh. bit unspoiled this season except for what I happen to remember I can't find my tablet to do the Kindle reread well, half oh, the yeah. stuff that's happening isn't in the book anyway that's true, yeah, that's, true. <laughs> that's true 
And if it is in the book, it's different. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, thanks. I feel a lot better. <laughs> well, let's head north to Winterfell. Mm-hmm. Weird to be back here. Uh, yeah. Lots, lots of, of rebuilding, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Nice long shot of showing them actually rebuilding the castle. Lots of sort of temporary <sighs> reinforcements to replace where the walls fell down. Yeah, but then we saw, you know, ew. Oh, yeah. Well, it was like Theon, Theon and Blech. Walking through and just thinking, looking at just being in Winterfell and walking the halls. Yeah. How it mm -hmm. must really tweak his already mushy melon. Well, plus, <laughs> the, I don't know if you guys caught this, but the flayed men that were hung up were hung up in exactly the same place that he hung up the two the kids. burned oh, kids yeah. that he was passing off as Bran and Rickon. Yeah. He was in the same spot. Yep. And I guess that's the hanging that. post. <laughs> What's that, Nettie? Oh, and Ramsey knows that. Like, yeah. that's not accidental. That is not accidental at all. Mm -hmm. Um, So did, did Reek actually say anything? Mm -mm. I didn't see him say yeah, anything. I he think he, yeah, he was kept he his hid from the corpses. He slunk and hid from Sansa and powered. I mean, I think he totally stole, I'm going to say it now, but he stole like every scene he was in. I kept having to go back and rewatch his scenes to see what the yeah. other actors were doing because him not saying anything, just sitting there twitching and his eyes all watery. And, you know, it yeah. just, he was so compelling. I, I just watched his performance every time. Alvin Allen does such a great job. He doesn't say anything. Mm -mm, he doesn't need to. But you can you can read it all on his face. Mm -hmm. You can tell in the yeah, later was scene neat. he was listening to everything. Yeah. You know what I was wondering? One thought occurred to me as if, you know, he knows not to say anything out loud. But does he have the wherewithal left to have an internal monologue with himself? You know, where he thinks about his father and his sister. And, you know, does he have a list of... Obviously, Ramsey would be at the top of the list. Roos killed um, Rob, who was his best friend for his entire life. You know, does he have a list of names like Arya has that she recites out loud? Does he have a little quiet one in his head? You know, Do like you want me to tell how you far gone? Well, <laughs> no, no, no. I don't want you to spoil anything for well, the show. Not a spoiler, because it's well, just they haven't told us. They don't told. They haven't told me in the show, so it would be. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I let's let's not go into what no. happens in the books. No, I'm just in, this is just me speculating because right. I thought it was yeah. really like he can't be all gone because he knows enough to cower. So he's well, still in there, and he's more than just reaction because he's cowering to stuff that Ramsey hasn't trained him to be afraid of yet. You know what I mean? So it's like well, he's afraid I think, of everything, which means you have to retreat to a certain point, don't you? Well, that's that's what I my what I'm thinking though is that basically Ramsey has trained him to be afraid of everything. I mean, remember his sister showed up to rescue him, and he tried to <laughs> hide in his cage and saying. Tell Ramsey you couldn't trick me. Yeah. Because I Ramsey, because of his mind games, uh, has just got Theon so jumpy that like he is constantly paranoid that anything that happens might be a trick. And he has to constantly watch himself to make sure he doesn't slip up. Right. But do you think he's still in there based on what we've seen in the show? Hard to say. What do you think, Chooch? It's really hard to say. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, 
you know, I, I think it's, it's always possible that you could sort of lock something up pretty deep, deep enough that you really wouldn't even think about it day to day, but then something or other might trigger it reemerging a little bit. I think his, his eyes and everything while they were eating and listening to the conversation, Mm -hmm. being in Winterfell scene and, and I hadn't caught the, the same positioning of the bodies and all that. And then this conversation, um, mm-hmm. it, it's possible he could be waking up. I mean, yeah. I had been hoping before, you know, with the Yara's rescue that he would have woken up, but, and you mm-hmm. think that would do it, but I think maybe being in the surroundings that he actually grew up in. Yeah. <laughs> and remembering the, the lessons of the Starks, mm-hmm. you know, honor and, and all this stuff. And Ramsey flays three people just to collect a couple gold coins, well, you know. And three people he knew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They yeah. were they were close bannermen. You know, they were the servants. Does anyone else think that they might be sub- making us compare um, Ramsey subconsciously to Smeagol? Because, like, when they first, every scene they showed him in this episode, he looked like that mid-change version between Smeagol and Gollum. He mm. just gets more and more like gnarled and leprechaun-y. I mean, do you think they're doing that on purpose? Because they don't I, need to. <laughs> I I think it might be an example of uh, what in biology they call convergent evolution in the sense that it's coincidence. Like, it, mm. that's, that's my guess. It's I don't think that you're wrong that there's some similarity there, but I think it's more a matter of his face trying to look like a creepy asshole, like Ramsey's supposed to be. And that just kind of happens to also look like when they were having Andy circus, try to look like a creep mm-hmm. as Smeagol. Yeah. So I think it's coincidence, but it's directed in the sense that you have two different people kind of going for the same vibe. Yeah. Um, Getting back to the Theon thing, I think that Alfie Allen is portraying Theon as he is in the books for okay. many sake. Mm-hmm. So that's that's and it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm amazed that he's doing it this well. And um the actor playing Ramsey is creepy as ever. Can you just yes. stop eating and listen to me? I mean, that was just <laughs> that was so great. Mm-hmm. Um I Huge, you know, it's funny, like even, you know, even though I'd thought about it, just the way you kind of put it, the idea that specifically being in the Winterfell surroundings and might be what might cause Theon to resurface a little bit within Reek, um, specifically because I think it's absolutely true just in terms of human psychology that if you are placed in completely different surroundings with completely different people, it would be easy to kind of just slip into a different sort of persona there. I mean, everybody, you know, I I think most people act a little differently than they do at work, than they do at the grocery store, than they do at home, than they do at a con. You know, we all have kind of these little versions of ourselves that we slip into. And if you're in a completely different scenario and it's being enforced, you kind of develop this whole other personality. But then when you start getting all of these little triggers that are like the other one, mm-hmm. I, I can see how that might start to trigger some of those things. 
Absolutely. I agree. And then seeing Sansa, you know, when he sees Sansa later on, it's like they had dinners together. You know, they rode together. They were like a family. Mm -hmm. Well, if you think about it, he spent more time in Winterfell and with Sansa Mm -hmm. than he ever did with his own sister. Yeah. Or Mm -hmm. his father. Like exponentially more time. Yeah. He really does have more loyalty to the North or should, which is why his betrayal was such a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And I kept expecting that the, them coming together. It's got to happen at some time, obviously. I mean, <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah, the uh, they're having the dinner and talking about really the way to make things happen politically is a wedding. And it had never occurred to me until he said it. And sure enough, they cut. They show them riding up to Moat Kalen. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> so I I tweeted after the episode. I said no spoilers, but at a point during this tonight's episode, I made a noise. It was not a quiet noise, mm-hmm. and this was when this is when it <laughs> happened. When they cut to Sansa, and I was just like, <gasps> and I'm not going to make the noise into the microphone now because, as yeah. previously stated, it was not quiet. But uh, <laughs> boy, I, I, it's it because I the thing is. Now that they've done it, it's so obviously a good choice for the show to make, but I yeah. didn't see it coming. And mm-hmm. it's just like, because of course, it, like the, it, we don't know where Sansa was going to go, like, you know, at this point in the books, but there was, it. this is not what happened. And yet I love this change. I think it's fantastic. But again, it's like I didn't see it coming. I just had my brain had not connected those dots. And then as soon as it happened, I was just like. So is it something that you can tell us without something that might be coming up in the next episode? No, it's well, there's a wedding. There's talk of a wedding, but it's not Sansa. They've they've mm-hmm. condensed the roles like they do a lot. They've okay. they've taken people talk about how there's a lot of characters in Game of Thrones and I can't follow it. Well, there's a lot more in the books. Yeah. There's so You're many more in the characters. Books. Just like with with Arya, with it, mm-hmm. Jacques and Hagar is not the faceless man that she's training under. Right. Yeah. They've she, condensed he's a total it from stranger to somebody her. else that we already know. So mm-hmm. in the books, it's someone else. Yeah. And they've condensed it. Yeah. Um, in the books, uh, it's a, I believe it was one of Sansa's friends. Yeah, it was her servant. And specifically, though, they were passing her off as Arya. Because gotcha. for all everybody knows, Arya maybe is dead. And who around here actually knows what Arya looks like? Yeah. And so let's say this girl that's is right. Arya. She's a northerner. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, yeah. But, um, but and then there was also, it, it specifically tied into Theon because Theon is the only one around who might know what she looks like. So do they have to have him vouch for her? But all of that was kind of overcomplicated and it would require us introducing this other character that we don't care about or didn't care about. So this change is so perfect, I think. I think it's great. And didn't Theon kill her father too? Wasn't Maybe. her father one of the people that he killed or did her father die at King's Landing? I can't remember. That might be right, but I don't remember. But yeah, there's so much. It's like it's like a big puzzle, and it's so complicated. 
And it seems really important when you're reading the book, but when you're watching the show and they make this change, at least I agree with Christiana here. I'm sure there'll be lots of book readers who think Mm. it's complete BS, but I'm sitting here going, yeah, that makes sense. That makes it a lot simpler because there's no way you're going to get that whole puzzle on the screen without it looking like gobbledygook. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's one aspect of it that I feel like I don't have a handle on yet. And maybe this is by design, like we're not supposed to get it yet. And in fact, that's my guess. Yeah, me too. We know what the Boltons see in this because we've just established that they're alienating a lot of the people that they're ostensibly ruling over. And you get a lot of these, uh, you know, former Stark bannermen who uh, might just wait until it looks pretty clear that the Lannisters aren't coming anymore and then say, you know what? We don't really want Bolton in charge of us anymore. And so they need something to try to re-solidify that. It's pretty standard. It's We get it. Mm-hmm. Um, what's Littlefinger's angle in all this? Like, what is he getting out of this? Because he pitches it. He said to, it. He kind well, of said it later on. Though, mm, well, I, I don't, yeah, I, I think. He has two different versions, one that he says to Sansa and one that he says to Roose Bolton that are completely incompatible. But I think he's more likely to tell Sansa the truth to keep her in I mean, he needs to keep Sansa, to me, in my mind. His end game is he's got Winterfell, he's the king, and he's got Sansa at his side. I think he sees himself on the iron chair, on the iron throne. I don't think that's a surprise. Um, I think that he is, I think he's, he's, I was really like kind of blown away with this scene he had with um, more with Ramsey later on than this scene with, um, with Sansa on the hillside trying to talk her, you know, into marrying Ramsey. Um, but I just, the thing that really struck me most of about that scene is that he is so good and he is so creepy and he is so manipulative and he's also right because her upbringing has really only made her good for impacting the game and getting vengeance, which revenge and vengeance is a huge theme through this episode, um, is that she can either marry somebody or she can starve herself to death, which is what she, she said, I'll starve myself to death before I marry him. And it's like, who thinks of that? Oh, somebody that's mm. been raised to think that they have to follow and do everything yeah. and, and be good little breeders, you know? And so it's it's just the power that... I just think it's neat because she shows that she's a Tully and she's a Stark. She, she's got that fire from Catelyn and then she's got that honor and reserve from Ned where she just came through, you know? It's just so, so fucking evil. before I say my cryptic theory, I want to hear what Chooch thinks, Peter Baelish is doing here clearly you know he's always up to something and i'm just oh, peter i have to wonder <laughs> if there's layers i'm not getting um because you know at face value avenge them by going to winterfell and making babies with the murderers yeah. um survive is vengeance or is it more a vague trust me I think it's the latter. That's how I read it. What about you, Nettie? So my theory is that Peter Baelish is going to serve a role that it looks like we're not going to have that was in the books. So it's going to be a little switching of roles here. Okay. Let's not go into that. (laughs) I think that Chooch is right, though. 
I think that Peter Baelish has a plan and that there are many layers and we can't see this plan. He's right. not going to tell Sansa the plan because that will mm-hmm. just screw it up. Because well, he's not going to tell her the full plan at, for sure. Yeah, she's not very even, – even though he's brought her on as his protege, he's not going to give her the whole plan because she'll give it away. I mean, she's right. not him. Yeah. He tells her what he needs to to get her to go along is what I, is the yeah. way I see it. I feel like Peter Baelish, in my opinion, and this is, I'm sure, influenced by the books. Um. I'd like to think that I see this in the show, but I have a hard time separating the two because uh, Aiden, whatever his name is, does such a good job mm. uh, of playing Peter Baelish. But to me, he has such a desire to possess Sansa right. that I have a hard time seeing him just giving her away and that just giving her to a Bolton of all people and not even to try to figure out Ramsey or anything makes me think, he knows exactly the kind of person Ramsey is, and he's got plans well, with players, and we don't know what it is yet. Well, and for me, I think the finest moment of acting that he may have done so far this season, which isn't saying much, but it's it was really powerful. It was the scene that he had with Ramsey, and um, and it was I made a note of it. It's later on, but since we're talking about it now, it was. Um, Basically, when um, he was saying to Ramsey, they were talking about the raven that had come from Cersei in the night and how, you know, you know, trust and blah, blah, blah. And you're not. And he said, you know, well, you took a pretty big gamble, too, when you, you know, stabbed Rob Stark in the throat and paused. Did not mention Cat. Did not mention the fact that Ramsey mm-hmm. also was key for the love of his entire life, being having her throat slit Ruth. and thrown on the trash. Huh? You mean Ruth? Right, Ruth. When he's meeting, I'm sorry, when Bruce is meeting with That's Peter okay. later. Yeah. And he's saying those things, you know, you, you about how you're taking a gamble going against the Lannisters. Mm-hmm. And and Peter very honestly says, I think he shows his cards when it's to his advantage. The Lannisters have no power. They're dealing with that. I don't feel like I have a deal, deal with anyone, and look what we can do. Was look what happened the last time that the Lord of the Vale and the Lord of Winterfell came together. Mm-hmm. You know, we it changed everything, and so I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't. I, there are layers and things like that, but I think it's. I think that as as watchers, we we can see that he if you know whatever he's got going on with Roose and Ramsay, if he lets go of Sansa, it's because he thinks it's going to be short term. You know what I mean? I think he wants. I think he wants to kill Roos like nobody's business. But look on his face. First thing that popped in my head was he's setting up another red wedding scenario, right? But mm. For the benefit of who? You know, yeah. I don't think it could be the Lannisters. But I mean, he. It has to be mm. for a bigger alliance. Yeah. It has to be. Yeah, he's climbing I, the ladder, right? But if he then married Sansa, right. then he would be the Lord of the Vale and the Lord of Winterfell. He's her uncle by marriage, though. Now I think that would be tricky to sell yeah. to anybody. Uh, but there's no blood relation, and it's true. But it's Targaryen's married brother and sister, you know. Well, so again, like this is all speculation, and I even right. you know, to some extent I has you know beyond base motives. Like it's hard to like I could guess at what his plan might be, mm-hmm. but what if I guess right, then it feels like a spoiler or something. Right. right. I, so I, I, I'm going to maybe refrain from actually 
going into details about some of these ideas, but I do agree that he did not tell Sansa the truth, or at the very least, not the whole truth. Like, Mm -hmm. he may have given her just enough of it for her to go along with him. Yeah. Even though I felt that what he gave her was a little bit less than I would have found persuasive. Like, because there's this whole thing, use this to avenge them. And I would be her thinking, okay, how does this avenge them Mm -hmm. to give them what they want and solidify their power in my old home? But he implied that there was more, that he had bigger. bigger He implied it, but did not explain. No, no, he does not explain. That's the the piece that I I feel like. If I were Sansa, I would have insisted on. Yeah, um, but, uh, turn from I'm going to kill myself to all right. I'm going to starve myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, and I think he pulled. I think he pulled an unfair punch. They're at. They're looking over Moat Kaylin. They know that she knows they're going to West to Winterfell, and he gives her when he's done saying, you know, this is for vengeance. This is for them. When she leads forward, he gives her a very parental kiss on the top of the head as he's talking about revenge for her parents. And I think that was a very powerful, subtle message. He didn't kiss her on the cheek. He kissed her on the the head like a parent would, evoking even more protective feelings for them. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. So what did we think of the North Remembers? Loved it. (laughs) Goosebumps. Yeah. I, I think it is that plus the element of the, former Stark bannerman that Ramsey flayed there. It seems like they are laying some groundwork to suggest that there are parts of the North that are still very much not on board with uh, Bruce Bolton as the warden of the North. And what's happened in the Stark Winterfell. Yeah. yeah. Which is good just because we really haven't spent any time up there except up at the wall for a long time. Now. Oh, yeah. We haven't yeah, really yeah. heard from anybody up there in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. We have uh, Brienne and Pod overlooking the Moat Kalen, the yeah. unbreakable Podrick Payne. I felt like the only reason to show Moat Kalen at all, unless we get more scenes there later or something, the only reason is to set up the idea that somehow um, that's why Brienne and Pod are going to have to fall behind and not be following as closely because it's like, we can't follow them through that road without being spotted. That means we have to go around, which is much longer. I was curious about the fact that they didn't even tie it to, um, Jojen and, um, Oh my God, I've forgotten her name. When are they going to show them again? Mira. They're Mira. Mira. Yeah. So like, that's where they're from, honey. That's why you've heard Mm. Mo Kalen before. Mm. Right. They're frogmen. That's where the frogmen are, the swampy, and that's where uh, Jojen and they use sticks to catch. I mean, catch me, catch me if I'm wrong, Christiana. Um, I yeah, I don't remember if it's Moat Kalen specifically. They were small, but it is this. This is the swamp stuff. Okay, Um, at least got the swamp part right. (laughs) Yeah, I believe you're you are correct. They're from the neck. That region, but I don't know if like Moat Kalen was where they're they from. Greywater okay. Watch. Okay. So, hmm. um, but the significance of Moat Kalen is it's kind of like a bottleneck mm-hmm. that if you don't go through Moat Kalen, much like the twins, you don't go through there. You have to go through a lot of 
difficult landscape. Yeah. Which is what Brian and Pod are just now starting. Right. What did you call them, Chooch? Unbreakable? Is that I what said you said? The Unbreakable Podrick Payne. He was just. <laughs> I wouldn't learn it if you weren't snarky, ma'am. That was so oh, cute. man. I got to make a note to make a meme. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> he is, though. I mean, and, and yeah, that's the next scene, too, isn't it, Brian and yeah. Pod? Mm-hmm. And they had that that the scene that you were talking about, but they also, I mean, this was the Pod and Brian moment, I think that that some of us have been hoping for because they're just such a funny couple. Yeah, it's just like that whole back and forth where I'm proud to be your squire, yeah. you beat the hound. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just yeah, like, it's it's so nice. different from the book as I remembered him. I mean, and then she he he's so charming now, and he's picked up the wit and and intelligence. You know, he's, he's, you can see Tyrion's influence on him here and there, but mm-hmm. he's just like, oh, thanks. Yeah, I'd love to learn to fight. You know, yeah. that could be a dangerous combination, too. Those two things, Tyrion's wit and Brienne's, if she's actually able to teach him something, he'd be pretty cool. Sorry to interrupt the flow, but I'm such a dumb-dumb. Well, Kaelin is important because it's where the Boltons are from. I thought that they had a different thing. No, the it's Dreadfort. That's where the yeah, Boltons are Dreadfort. Uh, well, what is it? Maybe they got Mo Kaylin as part of the war. Oh, you know what? It's handing out of stuff. That's where Theon helped them take over. That's what it was. Sorry. Mm. Because I'm seeing the, the, the blade man hanging from Mo Kaylin and that's why. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that was when we saw, um, Theon or Reek have to protect. Pretend to be Theon and right. talk some of the Iron Men into surrendering. That that was Moat Kaelin, I think. Yeah, and it's it's at the neck, which is as I said, a bottleneck. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Renly's discussing terms with Caitlin, he offers Rob to have dominion of everything north of Moat Kaelin. So that's essentially where the North begins. Mm-hmm. So okay, yeah. Um, I. I really like, you know, I've, you know, I've always liked um, Brienne's scenes and I've mm-hmm. liked all of her scenes with Pod so far, but I like the, the slow but noticeable momentum of that, their relationship warming and, um, you know, her not only starting to recognize his, you know, like her, her frustration early on was that he kept not having the skills that she wanted him to have, you know, like the, woodcraft and uh you know riding a horse and all of that sort of thing but yeah. she's slowly starting to recognize that like he recognized sansa in the inn yeah he knows everybody's sigils by heart he he knows lots of things that are actually really handy once i can yeah. start to recognize what his strengths are and stop yeah. punishing him for the things that he doesn't know yet yeah yeah and it was awesome having these little backstory moments for these different characters. Heartbreaking, but great. <laughs> what did you think of her Renly story, honey? I wanted to ask you about that after we watched it. When she was talking about, uh, you know, when she was younger and the dance and when, she, when mm-hmm. the kindness of Renly and stuff. What did it you think of all that? It was just, it was such a, a nice touch in being able to flesh out not only her, but a character that we didn't really get to know very much. Yeah. And, um, and, and I had the immediate, so as we were watching it, together you know you saying under your breath that's so Renly. <laughs> did i <laughs> well he was that's how they portrayed him in the books he was so gentlemanly he was so gallant he would do that 
Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting about them choosing to do that story now, um, although like I, I liked it. I think it's a really nice moment from Brienne's history that we hadn't yeah. really gotten. He told sort of a shorter version of that mm -hmm. to Catelyn, I think. Um, but to have her tell it here and then use that as a re and bringing Renly into it is a way to sort of recalibrate what her goals are a little bit mm -hmm. because, um, you know, she's still going after Sansa. So there's the protect the Stark girls aspect, right. but sort of refreshing our memories that there's also maybe a kill Stannis exactly. in there too. Yeah. Which given where, you know, what's going on with Stannis and his whole thing of like, oh, we're going to try to put a bunch of people together to try to go take Winterfell back. Yeah. And now Brienne's headed for Winterfell too. Uh-huh. Yeah. What's going to happen with that? That's mm -hmm. interesting. I, I, Again, I agree. not in the books. <laughs> I love how they took two stories from the books, twisted them up, and made them a really nice story. Yeah. And I love how she's like, I know he liked men. I'm not, it doesn't yeah. matter. I still loved him, you know? Yeah. And I love that because that's another thing. Like, people are like, Brienne's so awesome and she's so great. How could she not have known that Renly wasn't interested in women? It's like, that mm -hmm. was never about it for her. She wasn't trying mm -hmm. to win his heart in yeah. that way. I mean, she loved him and I'm sure she would have loved to have married him. But she mm -hmm. knew that that, like, in my opinion, I always felt that she knew that wasn't going to be a reality for her. So mm -hmm. for her, an even more intimate relationship would be to be of his king's guard, to be considered one of his best friends. Yeah. And they, they often made a joke that, you know, Renly thought of her as a joke, but that she didn't care what other people thought. She only mm -hmm. cared about her interactions with him. And yeah. I just, I love that she's like, yeah, I know. I know. I'm not stupid. Yeah. And I love that they brought up the, the title of Brienne the Beauty. Yeah, I don't even um, think it was ever about. I don't even think that. In, like, I don't think she ever wished to be with him romantically. I think it was just mm. about. I don't think it was like a romantic, sexual, passionate thing that she felt. Yeah. Proud. Um. For I, I always me. interpreted it, at least in the books, when it wasn't so obvious that Renly was gay. Right. Yeah. Um. It was Thanks much more subtle that. there. Um. <laughs> I didn't get it until it was pointed out. Um. But the uh the way I had always interpreted it in the books was, you know, uh, a little bit more sad in the sense that it's not so much that she didn't want it as much as she accepted in her heart that it would never happen because she believed, well, look at me. How could, you know, even, you know, he's, he is wonderful enough just to be kind to me. How could I ever expect him to want any more than that? And so that, that's kind of how I had yeah. interpreted it. Um, I may and be so she on the sort of uh, underappreciated, underappreciate or um, underachieving to not even ask yeah. of that of him. But um, what I thought was also just a nice little parallel is to have the whole element of her story being she loved Renly so much because he was able to see past the things that others mocked her for right. to see what she really was good at. Right. And then her watching Pod listen attentively, compassionately, mm -hmm. and realizing everything that he's been helping her with, 
not in a, like in a, like she's falling in love with him sense, but just right. in the sense of recognizing kindness. Yeah, and this idea of maybe seeing past the things that other people might mock him for and recognizing what his strengths are. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, like she's Renly and he's Brienne now. Exactly. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, and I, so I, I, nice. I, I love those two. We're gonna. We're that was a great now. And she's going to train him and it's all Yay. exciting. And he has the knowledge that he needs. Mm-hmm. Like Tyrion gave him knowledge and she's going to give him the physical feats that he needs. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what I was saying. He's going to be, he's going to be a scary little, um, he's going to be an interesting character if he's able to pick up on both aspects. He's going to have Somebody brains. He's going to have uh, uh, tactics. That's what it's called you know, strategy. And he's already got that natural gift. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, be yeah. A triple threat. <laughs> so um, before anybody writes into us at how wrong I am mm-hmm. uh, in the books, Moat Kalen is controlled by the reeds, but for a long time, they're not actually there. It's held by other people. In the show, it seems that they're not from Moat Kalen, unless I'm misinterpreting. I could, I, like I said, I would just, it was in my head that it was Moat Kalen. But you're right. Yeah. They definitely had control, and it's one of the reasons why Maester Lewin said you have to hang on to Mira and Jojen, because as long as we have them as hostages, Howlin' Reed won't rise up against us. Yeah. And had control of Winterfell. So there's that. Wow. Westeros is complicated, y'all. I know. Dang, y'all. <laughs> Keeping the book straight from the, the show is, is challenging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's head, keep heading north all the way up to Castle Black. Mm-hmm. We have Lord Commander John's office. Oh, mm-hmm. man. There's That's some, right. More great stuff happening all yeah. over the place in this episode. So he's, he's picked a steward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's Ollie. Yeah, and I I like this is just a little subtle bit with Ollie, but I like them setting up that John's whole thing about understanding, being more understanding of the wildlings, and this recognition that not everybody feels that way, and there's kind of a cut to Ollie not feeling mm-hmm. that way. Exactly, mm-hmm. <laughs> precisely. Yeah. yeah, and it's good that he chose Ollie, not a friend. Yeah, to mm-hmm. be his steward. Because what better way to get an idea of opposition? Well, but not only that, but I mean, it even spoke to his ability to look past the fact that Ollie killed Egret. I mean, yeah. he was able I, to rise above that, which is not got to be got to be kind of tough. I just thought of something about how the show might handle a certain thing that I will not say because it has not happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the Eureka. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, John declining. Um, and I have to respect his decision. Yeah. Um, yep. How he lays it out. Mm-hmm. And Stannis, too, through this scene, you know, he's a little gruff with how long are you guys going to be here? But <laughs> immediately steps back, you know, John gives a reasoned answer, you know, winter's coming. Yeah. Got yeah. food concerns, got all that, and um, uh, well, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's his, such, it, was, it was a small interaction, but 
it gave a the, the just the sense of Stannis how you know you can see why people would follow him. He's he's yeah. even keeled and and honorable and and uh, you know it gave me first you know yeah I could I could see him up on the throne. I could see him running things. Now get Melisandre mixed up in there, everything goes to shit. <laughs> Yeah. Well, mm. I think a big part of that was that John's reasoning was in line with Stannis's ideals. Mm-hmm. Like right. he gets that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so seeing John react this way is making Stannis think, okay, well, he's not giving me what he want, what I want, but I get it. I get him. I I can mm. deal with him. I can work with this. And so, okay, let's not let's not turn what could be an ally into an enemy and uh, just move forward. Um, and so I liked that. And I also love, I just love Davos every time he's on screen, but also just this element of uh, what made me laugh just thinking about it just now was we played the clip of uh, Obama's anger interpreter. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Davos is, uh, is Stannis's <laughs> like, Compassion interpreter. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Diplomacy interpreter. Helter. Like, Helter. okay, I know what Stannis just said, but here's Let me what he really means. Yeah. <laughs> he sounds grumpy, but it's because he cares. But Davos <laughs> is smart, too, because he has Ollie recite the actual pledge, and it says, yep. shield that guards the realms of men. That's not mm-hmm. just this one little castle out here. You know, it's not just these people. You know, you're supposed to be thinking of bigger people if you want to really literally interpret that, you know, if you want to dig mm-hmm. into the words. But and at the same time, it reminds us that it's the realms of men, not Westeros. Yeah. Because there's something big and bad coming north of the wall. And one of the things that kind of bothers me is that Stannis is a bit short-sighted in thinking, all right, the wildling, that was the big wildlings. Those were the big mm-hmm. problems. And that's why Melisandre said to get their that. asses here. I can yeah. move on. But no, right. <laughs> that was well, because not the problem. I think the response to Davos's point there would be, you don't shield the realms of men from the realms of men. You shield the realms of men from outside forces. Right. They don't get involved mm-hmm. in the politics or this. Yeah, the, the whole fight with the wildlings was incidental. That was just a result of having the wall go up. Yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't, um, you know, like that was not why they put the wall up. It just happened to be that when they put the wall up for the purpose of shielding from the White Walkers, there were people on the other side and that created some hostility. Yeah. I think, I think the show is going to intentionally make us forget about the bigger threat for a while, at least until Bran comes back. I think they're going to make us forget that anything nasty is out there. Stannis is going to sweep through Winterfell and try to go back to, you know, to uh, King's Landing and all that. They're going to draw all the attention away. Um, And there was another piece to that. Yeah, I I think they're going to downplay it. And because I took what Davos' speech, shield the realms of men, meant you need to get involved in the politics because yeah. just protection of the wall isn't the only danger to the realm of men. And yeah. you need to get involved and, and protect everybody from themselves too. I think that's, that's an interesting thought, but here, here's why I disagree with you a little bit. I, I agree that I don't think they're going to make that the A plot necessarily, but I don't think they want us to forget either because 
I feel like from a storytelling perspective, what they want to do now is to just continue to make this situation that John is in as complicated as possible, right? He's got to have as much pressure coming from both sides as possible. And I think one of the best ways to do that is keeping the wildlings on the other side of the wall is the simplest solution unless there is a powerful motivating reason not to do that, right? And so I think if they ratchet up the pressure of the White Walkers a little bit, that is more reason to maybe try to bring the wildlings south, at which point you have to deal with having the wildlings south. Yeah. So I, that's, I mean, that's my speculation. You might be right, but that's why I think it, um, you know, getting a mid-season bump of, oh, yeah, those guys are up there is probably. Well, every opinion. episode so far this season, they have very carefully, specifically limited the view. And I can't remember what it looked like before. I should go back and see what last season's looked like when John was out there with the wildlings or wherever. But I know that they are so tight on it now that you don't see anything but white beyond the wall. And you only see Castle Black as it's, you know, it was re being rebuilt kind of a thing. And then it immediately zips away. So they, I think, I think there's a little bit of truth to, uh, or at least I agree a little bit with Chuchas, that they're trying to make us forget that there's anything else going on for right now. Because there's so much going on in Bravos with Arya. There's, I mean, we didn't even get any Danny this week, did we? Mm -mm. No. Mm -mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, they'll be ping pong. It was still a very full episode, though. Yeah, I don't think they're going to bring our attention north of the wall until... Danny comes, makes her way towards Westeros. So she comes peeling in on a dragon. Reach! Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it Bugs still Bunny. bothers me that we never went north of the wall in the opening credits. That's mm -hmm. all I'm going to say because I don't want to go into anything else. But well, yeah, I, the, I just, it bothers me that we never went north of the wall because I really wanted to see what they were going to do there. But oh well. like the Fist <laughs> of the First Men might have been a. Yeah. Well, again, I. Where Bran ended up. I mean, there's so many little places. But I think that they're, I think that they're showing places that are like integral in the episode, though, because we saw Moat Kalen in the episode. We yeah. saw it on the map. So I think there's no reason to show us anything beyond the wall because that would tantalize us and make us think that we were going to see that in that episode. But and I think in the episodes that targeted. were north of the wall is what I meant. Yeah. When we were north of the wall, we never went north of the wall in the opening credits. Mm -hmm. And I think we should have. And we had ample time, but now it doesn't make sense. But I agree. On the maps of Westeros that we have from the books anyways, from the text, um, how much, I, there was detail, but there wasn't a lot. There were like Fist of, you know, Fist of the First Men and things like that, like yeah. landmarks, but there wasn't a lot of detail out there because so much of it was unmapped. But yeah. Oh, as you go, you get a little bit more and more, you know, each book you get a little more of the north right. of the wall. Of course, but yeah. I do think that at some point we see as far as Bran goes, so. And there's there's definite more. Well, Bran's maps. ahead of me, so don't spoil mm. me. I'm not spoiling <laughs> you. It's just what's in oh. the show. <laughs> yeah. We also can't really spoil any more for Bran because yeah. pretty much show Bran is caught up with book Bran right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's stay cozily ensconced in Castle Black and have dinner and some announcements. Oh, <laughs> man. This is a big moment from this. I remember reading this. This. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we're, we're jumping ahead, but it, I think it makes sense to stay here. And, yeah. Uh, so something's it. up with, with, with the Meister. He's not feeling well. That sucks. Mm -hmm. Don't like to hear that. Um, yeah. And John shows mad respect for uh alistair yeah mm -hmm. 
I was, it was very wise. Yeah. And and then of course, as the scene progresses and Splint yeah. is cashing checks is ask can't <laughs> cover <laughs> Janice. and thought, wow, uh, I guess John maybe just actually, I mean, he shows a mad respect and all that. And I think it's the, was the honorable thing to do. But in yeah. this case, perhaps it was, he was doing some chess moves back there in his office and uh, fuck keeping your enemies closer. Let's get rid of some. Yeah. Well, and it was all, are you, you're talking about Janice Slint? Well, right. Because he essentially, he set Thorn up to, he knows Janice mm-hmm. is really going to hate this. Yeah. And if he gets uppity, he'd set mm-hmm. it so Thorn, you know. Is decent, decentivized from standing up for him for for causing a, a rebellion, which I mean that was the defining moment right there. Everything could have gone south in that room, and the room could have yeah. divided. Mm-hmm. You'd have fifty percent in civil war. Yeah, um, John was able to keep the command of the room, which was what kept control. Right. I I didn't get the feeling that John was trying to provoke Flint into doing what he did mm-hmm. so much as. He was taking Davos's advice to some extent of like, you know, I always thought you should keep your enemies close. Is like, well, people who say that don't have so many enemies. Um, yeah, I, I don't so know that he was provoking I, but, him, but knew that it could but, go sideways like that. Yeah. Well, I think it was sort of, it was a deliberate, what he wanted was for Slint to do what he was told and go away. Yeah, just and go not away, take 10 guys, like, work okay, on this place. You, no, we'll give you a low-priority post where you'll be out of my hair, and then I don't have to worry about you. Yeah. Um, and uh, But, of course, once Flint just, you know, made a big deal about it, at that point, John was just like, Yeah. I, I can't have this. And you know what? I honestly am sick. Of your shit. <laughs> We're all sick of slant, man. Yeah. And and I think even, you know, it, it's it's one thing to consider whether, you know, Thorn actually turning on slant too. It's like, is there a little bit of just a, well, he got pacified, so now he doesn't care. But I think there was also an element of just finally recognizing, you know what, you know, you you really are kind of just a, a, a toady that was just trying to climb up the ladder and you're now you are not respecting what this actual, you were all about the rules and law and order and following the code and everything when it was all about trying to punish John for right. these petty things. But now you're disobeying a direct order. That's not okay. And right. plus, you know, the way he behaved at the battle and, <laughs> you know, he wasn't think, doing anybody any good there at the at the castle, other than just being another meat sack to get thrown in front of attacks. Yeah, I think if um, the way that John's setting it up is he's making Alistair Thorne think he's going to put him in charge of digging latrines mm-hmm. as like this petty thing, and right. you can see Alistair preparing himself for that. But yeah. I think if John had given him that task, Alistair would have done it. Because mm-hmm. he respects the position of Lord Commander. Right. Mm-hmm. It's he respects the position more than the person. He really I think that Sir Alistair really believes in the Night's Watch. I agree. One of the reasons why he's had such a hard time with Jon Snow 
is that he didn't think he was worthy of the Night's Watch. And Sir Alistair was the guy training all the new recruits, so he was seeing all these people that didn't care about being a man of the Night's Watch and weren't doing it for the right reasons. And then you've got this little lordling who comes up here, and he thought that John was going to be essentially what Jan sorry, Janos, I keep wanting to call him Janos because that's how I said it in my head, uh, what Janos was, which is somebody who expects everything given to them because they're better than mm-hmm. others. And so I think had he been put in charge of digging the latrines, he would have done it. And he wouldn't, he would have rolled his eyes and been like, yeah, whatever. But he wouldn't have talked back or anything. And I think that him getting the position of first ranger mm-hmm. is not him being bought off. Mm-mm. I think it's a wise decision in the show because we've got a lot less characters here and um, he was definitely a good fighter and he proved himself in battle and we need a new first ranger. So who better than the guy that trained everyone? Yeah. Um, that would be fantastic. And I think that Alistair was like, all right, this kid knows what he's doing. Unfortunately, John doesn't get to explain what he's trying to have Janos do. Yeah. But, You know, Alistair gets up, and I didn't think for one minute he was going to protect Janos, but they kind of have him stand in front of him and then step Uh out of the way because I'm pretty sure they're trying to make people think that he's going to defend him, and he's like, no, he's useless. Yeah. I think Mm -hmm. that Alistair was as convinced of John as Stannis was during this whole interaction. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we notice that John cut his head off himself. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I almost thought the show was going to have John show him mercy and not do it. You I'm know, so glad that they didn't. <laughs> as Stannis was watching the whole thing, I kind of had to feel like he felt one upped because he only cut Davos' fingers off. <laughs> you know, John like <laughs> killed the mofo right there in front of him. Well, I, mean, I understand he saved him with the onions and the food and all that stuff. I know, and I know. I was just just making a joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the the one thing that uh, it it reminded me last week of of what Danny had to do with uh, uh, the former slave who mm-hmm. killed the, the son of the harpy, just because in the sense that you you can't give Janoslint mercy, you just can't because that just undercuts everything. It's just going to show that you are someone who bluffs. Mm-hmm. And then pulls and then back. it was a play the whole time, like Janos was saying. Oh, yeah, he thinks he's going to scare me. Mm-hmm. No, no yeah. he's going to take your head. That's what he's going to do. Well, and plus he knows that Janos is saying this now because he, like, like on there on the chopping block, he's, he's retracting yeah. because he's scared now. Yeah. And as soon as he's not scared anymore, yeah. he's just going to go right back to it. And, yeah. and he's worthless anyway. Yeah. He, he would have made nothing but trouble hell. the whole time. Yeah. He would have made life a living hell for the ten guys that went with him to try and strengthen yeah. up, yeah. you know, the other castle. Even and if it was truth, a shit job, it was a necessary job. It's their job. In truth, Janos is breaking his vows all the time. Yeah. This, I have friends in high places and you don't know who I- No, you're a brother. <laughs> you're nobody you're now. You're the Night's Watch. You are a brother. Who cares who your friends are? Your yeah. friends Besides, yeah. yeah. You're the wall. Yeah, you were sent north in disgrace. By yeah, your friends, the Lannisters. Yeah. 
But that's the whole um, thing. It doesn't matter why you were sent. You know, yeah. in the books of we've got this this prostitute, this male prostitute, and we've got Janos, and they, you know, one says that he's got this great background, and one's got a really bad background. One's sent to the wall because of really not a bad reason, and the other is sent to the wall because he basically betrayed people and he's yeah. crazy and yeah. And and it doesn't matter. You both start out exactly mm-hmm. the same. Dolores Ed and Samuel Tarley. You know, one doesn't have a name and one has a huge name. They are the same, and that is so cool about the Night's Watch. That's why we yeah. love the Night's I Watch. I mean, Aemon Targaryen. You know, I yeah. mean, bring it, man. You Janice Lint. Yeah. I was going to yeah. ask where people thought John's decision point to follow through was. Because it seemed to me that he was hesitating. The way the way I read it was, and I don't mean read it as in the books, but uh, in uh, the way I interpreted the scene was that he always intended to do it. Yeah. Like yeah. when he brought him out there, this was not a bluff. Mm-hmm. It, he he was saying, "All right, you you've done this. Now this has to happen." And I think it was just when it came right down to it. In the moment when he suddenly begged for mercy, there was a part of John that was like, "Oh, should I? Should I yeah. give him mercy?" Like, yeah. I don't, I don't think he changed his mind. Like, I think he always intended to do it. It was just that he hesitated when it's like he's being asked for mercy, and then there was just this element of having to say, "Am I really going to do this?" Yeah. Yes, I yeah. have to. One thing I think was that he said, if you have any last words, now's the time to say them. So I think partly he was just letting him say everything he wanted and he was considering it. But I think it was respectful just to let him get it out. And Mm -hmm. I think he did hesitate. And then I was taken immediately back to the first episode where he is coaching Bran on how to watch Ned behead a brother of the wall that broke his vow. Mm -hmm. And he hesitates. And I, I related to that hesitation so immensely because I'm 46 later this year. And one of the things that I keep telling our eldest son, who's now a father is, you know, if you're waiting for there to be a certain age where everything makes sense and you're sure (laughs) that you're doing the right thing and you're following and you're doing things, you know, like you're supposed to, that moment never comes. I'm 45. I haven't had that moment. You know, it just, things change. You evolve and you do different things. And I think that a lot of that is what happened with John and he's become the man that he's in and he's, he has, and he's matured so much. And it's like you guys said, he would have lost so much command of being the yeah. Lord commander if he had not yeah. followed through and done, I mean, he did what his dad did, but mm-hmm. he knew, he knew the weight of it because of things that the wildlings taught him. Yeah, I agree. I think that he was, it's his first beheading. It's the first time he's ever had to say, and he did it in one. He did, he did do one. it in one. Well, Valerian steel and it cuts <laughs> yeah. nice. It helps. Yeah. It didn't take like three or four chops yeah. though, like Theon did though. Thank um, God. But again, Valerian steel, yeah. big sword, all of that, John. but also determination. Yeah. And he knew he had to do it, and there was hesitation. But I think you're right. Like he he learned from his father. Yeah. Now anybody who says. The Ned Stark's not his father, lineage, blah, blah, blah. Well, Doesn't blah, matter. Blah, blah. Ned he Stark raised him. It's his father. He, that okay. was where he learned his, his from his father. His, his morals and stuff. But <laughs> um, oh, I forgot what else I was going to say. So you go ahead, honey. It looked um, to me like he had hesitated when he said, mercy, mercy. 
okay, yeah. you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. It yeah. looked to me like he was thinking about it. And the moment he said, I'm afraid, I was always afraid. I've always been afraid that he decided he yeah. is totally fucking worthless <laughs> and went through well, with it, which went spinning in my head, the whole thing with, you know, Sam was craven and John, I guess it's because John saw something in him and said, mm-hmm. no, yeah. you, you can, you can be more and helped him where he yeah. knows Slint's just a big piece of shit. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sam, Sam is the, the one. <laughs> yeah. Sam is the one that is constantly undervaluing his own contributions. Uh, Janice is always does the opposite. And just this very last minute of, I've always been afraid is the only time he's ever been remotely honest, honest about it. Um, I've been hiding in the larder. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the difference between a great brother who thinks he's not versus a terrible brother who thinks he is. Right. But um, the other thing that I guess the element of this that I, I just sort of clicked with me is just this idea of who John is and what it means to, you know, the, the man who proclaims the sentence should swing the sword, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But that idea of you've got to do it doesn't mean you've got to like it, mm-hmm. but you've still got to do it. And so the hesitation was him not liking it. But then recognizing, yes, you do still have to do it. Right, exactly. So this was not punishment because I don't like you. No, no. This was, mm-hmm. you are a danger to your fellow brothers. Mm-hmm. You're disrespectful and you are, you have broken your vow. This is your punishment. And not while- because you were mean to me and you said nasty things. Yeah. yeah. And we have to keep in mind that it was his first beheading as such. But I mean... For the for the for the night's watch, he he killed Corn Halfhand, mm-hmm. and he lied about giving up his oath, and he lived with the wildlings, and he lived with the wildling girl. <laughs> and, I mean, he like did everything, every action he's taken, other than when he first heard his dad was murdered and he was going to run off, and then his oh that scene in the woods where they brought him back. But I mean, other than that, he has done every single step. He has followed his pledge. He has followed his oath. That is Ned Stark. He learned a lot about Mance, Mance to balance with humanity. And I think that his decision was, I think it's good that he hesitated because it showed the men that he really put consideration into it. This wasn't like, exactly, this wasn't revenge. This wasn't vengeance. This was like what Alistair, like Alistair Thorne said, and in, in, I think it was the first fight scene episode that Sam had with them is like, is this the guy you want guarding next to you Mm -hmm. as you, you know, when the, when the night gets really dark and winter comes, is that who you want sitting next to you as a guy that can't, and he was wrong. He was dead wrong about Sam and what he was able to contribute. But I mean, Janice during the battle, he, I mean, he should have been into some kind of high hell just for hiding out when his brothers were dying. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I, I, I think that, you know, they definitely gave him every opportunity to redeem himself and he just pissed on it all. And, and so I think that it was like you guys said, it was hard, but it was easy. It was harder to kill Corn Halfhand, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I, and I think the hesitation too, I mean, cause John has killed people, but this is the first time where it, it's not really self-defense, you know, exactly. it's not in every other time. case, he was in a fight for his life. Yeah. Yep. Um, in this case, it that was not, right. or at least not in any tangible, immediate sense. But 
at the same time that uh, we could keep talking about this forever, we have not even talked about Tyrion at, at all yet, and oh, for our, yeah. or half a full half of Arya's bit. Yeah. 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 Can I just start with? I I mean, if you don't mind, Chooch, can I? Can we go back to the Arya and the unnamed girl? Yeah. Unless back, somebody yeah. had something else to add. Jump back to the House of Black and White. Arya said, "Cunt, y'all." I mean, she said, "Cunt." <laughs> who who had to like just? I mean. Come on, that little face, that sweet little Maisie Williams. <laughs> uh, well, you, you, you heard of watched. You haven't watched Roller's Supreme Tyrion. Tweeter yet, have you? <laughs> <laughs> no. Mm-mm. She gives Harry Lloyd a, a talking to, which will make you go, oh, Maisie! <laughs> no, I, I really don't follow any celebrities on Twitter. Oh, no, no, no. It's a, a video, a short web series that the guy that played Viscerous put together. Mm. And I, I put it in, I think, our first uh, meme roundup. And it's got George R. R. Martin in every episode, and Maisie Williams in, is in the first episode, and she basically just like disses him hardcore. It's so good. <laughs> um, all I was going to say is just in fairness, it was an appropriate uh, name to describe what the what the girl was doing. Yeah, yeah. it's just kind of. And uh, yeah. I mean, even Jack and you know Jack and came in and was kind of like, come on now. <laughs> That's not how this works. Yeah, so She's we were talking ready. about the scene with Arya and the unnamed girl, as I've decided to name her, because we don't have a name for her. And they were playing the game of faces, which is basically just her fucking with Arya. <laughs> well, it, you know, we'll 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 see if we get more of that. I bet we will. There, mm-hmm. there's definitely more to the game of faces. It's not. Oh, just, sure. Not just screwing with her. It there's there's a there's a method to it. Well, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. At this level, it was screwing with her. Yeah. She doesn't know yeah. the game. She, she was she a girl is not ready. She deserved to be called cunt. So does that but, count yes. as a, a new introduction of a new character? Well, so she'll probably never get a name. So um, on that note, I, I was counting as, as promised this time. But we have to, I think, really clarif- make sure we're agreed on the rules. Because I think... If we really want named character, really only the new High Sparrow was um, new oh, named didn't character. Touch on him yet? Is yeah. he named though? Because he even well, he's the High Sparrow. Sparrow. He's I mean he we have his title. Yeah, yeah he's I not a generic guy. He is a specific guy. He is yeah. not a whore. He is not a Red Priestess. He is the High Sparrow. Right. And he's played by Jonathan Price. I think he counts. Oh, yeah. I love him. I was <laughs> we can, we, we can get into the count later and yeah. let's right. finish. Okay. Yeah. So in any case, um, I the, the nameless girl counts depending on whether we consider her just relevant to the story and counting thereby or not counting because we don't have it. She's, I mean, I just called her unnamed. So I assumed that she didn't <laughs> matter in the count. Because they so, didn't. Yeah, when they have the conversation and then Arya goes to get rid of Arya Stark's things. Yeah, no one goes to get rid of Arya's things. And <laughs> it was the moment when I was, I've been wanting her to come here and do this training and I never thought through what it means because Arya yeah. won't be Arya anymore. And I wanted her there because she, and if she's really no one, then yeah, I don't want this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> get on her the revenge. Boat and go back. Yeah, that's the heart. Her revenge story means mm-hmm. that she has to give up who she is to be able to attain it this way. And will she even remember those names? That little lit- that 
for name list from last time? Is she going to, mm-hmm. how far does this go? Do you completely immerse yourself and forget? Who well, right. Her, her list is Arya Stark's enemies, not a girl's not, enemy, not a no girl. one's enemies. That's what I'm yeah. saying. It's like, mm-hmm. is how much, like with Theon, how much are we going to lose of Theon and Reek? How much are we going to lose of Arya in the girl? Mm-hmm. Mm. I totally <laughs> want to speculate, but I don't want to say anything. <laughs> um, not because I have the answers, but well, yeah. I have questions that will bring up things that we haven't gotten to. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I'm just going to tweet at your questions. <laughs> I thought that it was interesting that you can still be smug when you're unnamed because that girl certainly was when he called Aria, uh, the girl out on Ar- having Aria's things around her. He was just mm-hmm. like, you know, it was like awful. It was like Mean Girls. Yeah. <laughs> well, well at the same happened. time, though, it's like I think it's not so subtle that this wasn't just the girl screwing around with Arya for the hell of it outside of the actual plan. Because think exactly how this all went down. What are you doing? Playing the game of faces. A girl is not ready. You, Arya, saying. I am so. Yeah. How can you be ready? You still have all of Arya Stark's things. It that conversation was not unscheduled. <laughs> That's my thinking, anyway. You could say it was just like, oh, it just worked out that way. But you could also say that that was a conversation that they were going to have at some. Oh point. yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, it's part of being no one is you can't own anything. Right. I'm just saying it's like I wouldn't be a bit surprised if it was not her just screwing around to be mean but rather like hey here's what i need you to do go and screw with aria and then so she'll get mad and off balance and then we can go initiate this conversation <laughs> so Chooch, where are you on aria well i i, I wanted to go home <laughs> <laughs> okay that's no, not gonna I'm... happen because ramsey's there we don't want her around ramsey <laughs> yeah the, I'm I'm still yeah I'm this whole faceless god of death thing surely fascinates me and so you know they're prepping the body for who knows what yeah um something's gonna get weird <laughs> this My, is remember when I said that I was really dreading this season yes mm. <laughs> this is a lot of it. So, yeah, my mind's just, what are they going to do? What are they going to do with the yeah. dead bodies? Maybe it has something to do with how they change faces. Maybe, I don't know, but, but they serve, <laughs> and they only serve the god of death. And mm-hmm. But in my cognition, death has no use for bodies. You know, once you do your business, that's just the vessel. It's gone. So, yeah, I'm... There's I'm an answer to that, but I don't know if they might just cover it still in the show. So yeah. I won't get into it. I just thought that... um. Aria, uh, Maisie Williams, as usual. I I watched this episode three times total, and I cried like a little baby every time because in the in the house of black and white or white and black or whatever it's called, you know, it was dark and it was scary and you know it was very somber and stuff like that. And then it shows her outside as she's getting rid of Arya Stark's belongings and. We're watching painfully. She gives away the clothes that have gotten her across Westeros and, you know, the money and the coin. And I swear to God, how, just thank God. I mean, I, 
I was so grateful that they kept this true to the books that she didn't throw needle in the away as well mm -hmm. that she stashed needle away because I don't think I could have taken it. <laughs> Even with Jack in being the guy there instead of some total stranger that we don't know what mm -hmm. his intentions are. We're hoping that Jockin's intentions are good because he saved her before, but I mean, it was so powerful and the, and the backdrop that they had her on for when she was doing that part was so massive and so huge in scale that she looked like that tiny little girl from season one, episode one, running around with a, somebody else's helmet on as she's watching the procession come in and it just, she just looks so damn tiny again and, and she hasn't looked that tiny in a long time. A little lip. Mm. <laughs> so, when I was, she's amazing. When I was reading that scene in the books and the idea of her getting rid of Needle, I'm like screaming at my book. I better not get rid of Needle. Like, like, read, 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 read. Don't try. Yeah. I gave you that. Um, yeah, it was. It was not ready for you to be the girl yet. <laughs> it was like the idea of losing one of my favorite characters, mm -hmm. you know, and, yeah. and essentially that's, that's the whole point, you yeah. know, because then we, if, if we lo lose needle, then we really do lose Arya. Yeah. Not really know what, as we know her. Yeah. Yeah. That was a hard scene to watch. Yeah. And she was just looking at me like, mm, crazy girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm kidding. What he did was... you think about her saving needle? Did it matter? It made me happy. Um, I think it could screw her as far as training or whatnot, because she isn't really dedicating to the cause, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, she is holding something back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But she got rewarded in a sense, if you want to call washing a dead guy a reward. Well, because, you know, I, I mean, mean, they they decided it counted. Um, if they were watching her, they didn't penalize her for right. that element of it. The stuff was gone, yeah. She wasn't surrounded with it, so at least it wasn't, I guess, within handy reach in case that girl starts being a cunt again. <laughs> <laughs> and like Next time it's like, okay, hold on. Stay right there. I'm going to be right back. It might take me 10, 15 minutes. I have yeah. to just run out to the seaside real quick for a second. But hold you stay my right sponge. There. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hold my sponge. <laughs> Not that it matters. Um because really, it's one of these tiny little details that makes great flavoring for the books, but wouldn't isn't really important for the show. In the books, that girl is like very weak and emaciated mm -hmm. because she survived a poisoning attempt when she was young. Mm. And I just I always thought that was an interesting detail, which yeah, again, yeah. great flavoring for a book. Mm -hmm. So much information for a show. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also, I think, um, I, I like the parallel of implying that this girl is perhaps like Arya or mm -hmm. used to be, yes. but has been doing this for longer. Yes. Right. And it's it, it makes sense that the questions that she's asking, like, what are we doing? What's going to happen to him next? Why would they answer those questions? Because a girl wouldn't care what the answers were. A girl would just be performing service without thinking about it. You know, Valor de Harris and all that mm -hmm. shit. Wax on. Wax on. <laughs> sweep <laughs> left, on. sweep right. Um, I think that's it for Bravos. Was, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that feedback thing? You want to save? Yeah, uh, Nobella said, uh, I highlighted it. It says, um, I have a question for you folks to talk about on the next session. 
How do we know what the man who invites Arya into the House of Black and White is the same man as the one she met in Westeros? Meaning, how do we know mm-hmm. that that is actually really Jack and Agar? Mm-hmm. Seems to me that this version is acting differently. And if the powers of the faceless have to do with the appearing, um, to do with appearing to be what the viewer expects to see. So I think first is, is what do you guys think? Do you think that that's the same Jack N or do you think it's, um, another faceless man that just looks like him, knows enough to look like him or whatever, or knew the name when Arya said it. I'm looking for Jack and Agar. I hadn't even thought of that, to be honest with you. I feel like I have two different answers, and one <laughs> is the outside-the-story meta answer, and the other is the in-context answer. The outside-the-story meta answer, I think, is that that's probably more complicated than they're really planning to get with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that context, I don't think that's what they're doing, but the in context answer is, yeah, we really don't know. But of yeah. course, I mean, it's also true. Like in the books, it wasn't him, but yeah, in the story though, it's true. If their whole deal is that yeah. they can change their face, then yeah, they, it could be a completely different person making her think that it's Jack and so that, uh, she'll, uh, go along with what he's saying. I watched it again after, I can't remember if I watched it. Two times after I saw the comment, or if I saw the comment after Chooch and I did our rewatch, but I've I saw it at least once since then, and I was really watching him and trying to remember like, and he's like the guy, and I don't know if it's just the change in clothing. I did notice that his body build is much larger than what we were used to from him, but back then he was like swashbuckling around with those other nasty guys, and in this he's wearing the those huge robes, almost like Maester's robes, so that could. I can't tell what's going on under that robe with him, to be honest with you. So I, end result is I can't tell if the body type has changed or anything like that. I, I just, I can't, I, I don't know what they did in the book because, or if they ever will turn that nameless guy into Jack Hen or into Syria. We used to speculate about that a lot, even way back in the beginning of the series. But, um, you know, it, it is an interesting, it, it's really interesting. So I'm kind of curious to see if that's something that happens either in the show later or in the book later. I think it's awesome headcanon. I love the theory. Um, and I could go either way. Uh, but it's a great headcanon to, to keep mm-hmm. up there. Um, I am very fond of having a headcanon. You know, canon is what is actually happening in a story. And headcanon is when you're a fan and you've decided things that have actually happened in the story, whether it's been said or not. Mm-hmm. And so that's like, for instance, my head Canon, uh, Jean-Luc Picard is Wesley Crusher's real father. Um, yeah. It's a great head Canon. It changes the first few episodes, the first few seasons <laughs> of next gen. And all of a sudden you're like dying to see Picard interact with Wesley. Cause it's so awkward. <laughs> and now you know why, but <laughs> so this theory that Nobilis has is going up there. It's, it's going into the head Canon. So thank you. <laughs> So the second part of it was, um, oh, I got to put my glasses back on. Um, the powers do, um, and if the f- powers of the faceless have to do with um, appearing to be what the viewer expects to see. If the powers of the faceless have to do with appearing to be what the viewer expects to see, I may have mangled this copy and paste. Um, but no, yes, yeah, so not the television viewer, but the person that they're. So, in theory, two people standing oh, next gotcha. to each other could see. Mm-hmm two different people standing in front of them. Mm-hmm. 
Gotcha. Psychic paper. <laughs> Psychic paper. Which well, think? I think would become obvious. People somehow that, you know, people would figure that out that they're not. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah, if it's quite the same as are we all looking at the same color green, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. People hmm. talk, so people, you know, yeah. somebody describes somebody and they look different than. Yeah. That's well, true. but of course, the faceless man is typically not necessarily intending to hang out for an extended period of time. So how often oh, yeah, do you have right. a conversation with, so what did you see that guy looking like? Yeah. True, you know, yeah. So it may be that it could occasionally come up, but by then they will have done their job and moved on. Yeah. But yeah. I'm thinking if you've got the ability to create a glamour, it has less to do with what you're projecting and what you're making the other person experience. Right. So mm-hmm. while she may look like Jacques and Hagar to Arya, to the other girl, he may look like um, the, the black dude or someone else. So it's all whoever that the, the person viewing them is expecting to see. I, I think all of that is interesting and I don't want to like imply that I don't, think it's cool but i also think it's potentially overcomplicating something that may well just be intended to work exactly as we see it i don't think that the show will ever delve into any of it now yeah but they will (laughs) delve back to king's landing at the same time like i do like the idea that uh Mm -hmm. that it's a subjective type of glamour but we don't really have any evidence of that all right Anyway, <laughs> go to see some prostitute cosplay at a, a smorgasbord well, of gods. Wait, before we get there, can we save that for the last and, and just do a little talking about Cersei and the High Sparrow? Okay, yeah. Sure. Because I'd love to end on that scene. <laughs> I would also like us to move things along. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm contributing it to, to it. We said we love the actor, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, what are, especially Chooch, what are your thoughts on this High Sparrow? What do you think of him now? You know, we saw his little sparrowettes, you know, take the High Septon, and then, and then Cersei goes <laughs> in and she speaks with him, <laughs> and you see he's He's given up his shoes. He's given up his clothes. He's feeding people, and he's kind of down to earth. Yeah, it. Uh, well, it's clear why Tywin kept them out of King's Landing because clearly they're going to stir shit up. But you think about stirring shit up. What they did, you know, they didn't kill him. They shamed him. They brought him out into the light. Uh, mm-hmm. And I can see from his standpoint, obviously. It's an affront to God. You you affect me. You affect God. So, um, I but. see that hypocrisy. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, from from what we're getting, seems like a, a decent dude. He's he's you know living the meek lifestyle, and and they didn't do anything overly violent. So, yeah. But those actions could severely screw up a a a, a community. You know. Well, he's also got that really kind of dangerous thing of, oh, well, I'm not really in charge. I mean, some of the other sparrows might do something that really upsets you, but I, you know, I'm not really in charge of everybody. You know, I can't hold me responsible for everything. Yeah. 
So I think there's that element of like he's he's got a nice setup where he can claim to not be responsible for anything, and yet we get the feeling that he pretty much knows what's going on. So yeah. See, I, I was, was expecting to be big, arrested. Yeah, I felt yeah. there was a big Jesus parallel going on there. They call me the high sparrow. This is what others call me. You know, uh, they say you say you are the king of the Jews. That's what others call me, you know, and never actually calling yourself this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if if somebody comes to arrest him, they'll, then he'll probably just go. And it just I don't know. There is definite parallels. Going. I'm not saying he's Jesus. I'm just saying, like, I feel like they're using these the tropes to kind of. Well, make us feel things. I think there are a lot of similarities amongst a lot of religions. So I don't know that I would call them tropes as much as common beliefs. And they may have different dudes in the main seat. But, you know, there's a lot of similarities. Like there's a flood in like almost every religion. Right. Yeah. Here, Here's a, uh, I'm going to say something that is actually nuanced, but sounds not at first. I think he's a liar. <laughs> and I think he is a liar in the service of what he believes to be the truth. Meaning, if he thinks that lying to someone who is sinful is the way to get them to do what he wants them to do, which is what he believes needs to happen, I think he'll do it. And so I, I, I think he is perhaps he is sincere in his religious beliefs but I do not believe that you can count on him to be telling you the truth when he talks to you. I think we might be reading a little bit more from the book into this than what the show is actually showing us at this point. I don't know. Um, I, we only he, have the one scene with him. The high Sparrow. Yeah. But I just, I felt like I, the, the whole setup with what the other sparrows did to the high Septon. I just don't believe the high, I don't believe the high sparrow that he didn't have anything to do with that or implied just like, Oh yeah, you know, I heard that happened. I, I don't believe him. I believe that he knew exactly what was going on. Oh yeah. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing at all. I'm just, yeah. I, I just didn't seem like that long of a, of a, well, of a scene. I, and I just really loved the line that lancing a boil is never planet pleasant. Yeah. Lancel. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, way cuter with short hair. I think we can all agree on it in this episode. Yeah. Way yeah. Oh yeah. Well, hair. no, yeah, mm, absolutely. Um, but he like, see the, the tricky situation that Cersei is in is first of all, I think she found it funny what they did to the high Septon. Like there might be an element of like, Oh, well, I don't want you stirring shit up in a way that I'm not, having some level of control over. Well, and she was, married, she well, was but, married to Robert, on. house of prostitutes, you know, no, that's not, please. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't, I, that's that, that was only the first half of my point, but the, the I, other, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't mean to snap. I'm just, uh, my, what I was trying to get to was she knows what Lancel knows and he could spill it at any moment. Maybe this guy already knows all that stuff. So she has got to treat them with super delicate touch. And so that sense of like even going to talk to them, she has to be super careful. And the thing is, is like, I don't know that the high sparrow knows everything, but I think he senses that she has got stuff that she is hiding. And it's only a matter of time before it comes out. 
And so he, he does not feel like he needs to treat her as though she is a true believer. And that means he's completely comfortable with being dishonest with her if he feels like he needs to, or even just a little misleading. That's, and that's the vibe I got from him. Do you want to go ahead and go through the rest of your notes, Christiana, even if it puts us a little bit out so that you can, I mean, I know that you have to get up early and you've got to take care of the balloon and stuff. Do you want to go ahead and do your notes for the rest of the show? Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't need to rush through it necessarily. I just, I, we were just going on a long time. I didn't need to, I, and I didn't need to be short with you. Yeah. Just about clear. No, I'm not talking about that. I just, I, okay. I would rather keep talking. I, ap- I appreciate the thought. Um, okay, I'm fine. So the next. Yeah, I kept thinking, thing. what is Cersei Shoot. up to? And so I hadn't hadn't connected, hadn't connected, made the Lancel connection of, of maybe this is a way to keep things quiet when she says we need to protect each other. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I I see a lot of what Christiana's saying. And she's certainly short on allies. Um, mm-hmm. So she goes down to the down to the creepy Kyburn. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, can I just mention from the small council? And it's mm. like oh. Mace Tyrell, Lord Tyrell, and Maester Pycelle, and you and uh, it doesn't matter. I, I don't know. Who, yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I just love that. It doesn't matter. Kyburn <laughs> is so cool in the series. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he's demonstrating that he's so much smarter than the other guys at the table because oh, they yeah. were fighting over sitting closest to the people in power and he's just like i don't even have a name guys i don't matter <laughs> it's very I, high sparrow <laughs> in, in my uh, head canon kyburn doesn't even particularly care about being on the high council like he's he's oh, there because yeah. cersei wanted him to but he's spending every minute in that mm-hmm. room wishing he was back in his lab I think he's a. Stu- I think he's just a student of life. I think he wants to learn everything. I'm not surprised that he's there watching and listening and and observing because I think it teaches him more about human behavior. And Lord knows he's fascinated. Oh, Master of whispers. Did anyone else think he's looking at at the the high septon like hmm, future specimen? <laughs> <laughs> Only Doctor Krieger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's got to be the mountain on Kyburn's table, right? Hmm. Well, we well, last saw. <laughs> well, I think you just said what he I think. know. I think that's pretty much what we. If that's what you think, then it's certainly true that the last we saw of the mountain was him not quite dead yet, but poisoned, and can't nothing can be done except that he says, "Oh, maybe I think there can be something." Though mm-hmm. so he can mm-hmm. see him, well, yes. and- then he'll be the same. Well, he might not be the same. <laughs> yeah. Will he be weaker? Oh no. <laughs> yeah, I can't right up Cersei's alley. imagine yeah. what it looks like under that sheet or what he's going to, who he's going to be let loose on. Well, I think it's funny though, because how many times did they change actors and now they've got an actor under a blank and you can't even tell which one it is. Yeah. <laughs> they kept swapping out mountains and it, yeah. Nobody cares. Just as long as he's no. big. <laughs> as long as he's big. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and then the uh, last few scenes, Volantis. Mm-hmm. You see this? Volantis looks cool. I like the bridge. Yes. Big, sprawling city. Mm-hmm. I, one of the things that I really liked about this sequence um, was when Varys and Tyrion watched the Red Priestess, not merely just because of 
sort of reminding us that, okay, that's going on over in Essos too. But just the additional wrinkle, and this is a little bit like what I was saying about the dragons last week, is like the Lord of Light is a Danny backer. Hmm. Hmm. This this red priestess, <laughs> this red priestess is a Danny backer. That's I think all that we can get from from that. Mm-hmm. We don't know. I mean, Thoros never said that he was a dragon. What'd you call him? <laughs> Danny backer is what I Danny said. Danny backer, yeah, a Danny backer. But Thoros Just, didn't know dragon. about Daenerys. Oh, I think everybody knew about Daenerys, didn't they? They knew that they that that. that the two kids were alive and on the run. This well, council knew of them. And Tyrion didn't even, didn't even realize who, uh, who, what's his name? Jeez. Spider. Varys, Varys. There we go. I totally brain farted. <laughs> he didn't even realize who Varys was bringing him to. I think, I don't really think that Daenerys is, and, and what's going on over there is common knowledge. I mean, so to me, in Westeros, what's going on in in Essos is like people just—they couldn't be bothered, you but know. Tyrion because it was doesn't on. affect them. Mm. All right, I, I'm not Tyrion knew. Tyrion knew, but I don't think Thoros knew, and I'm not sure Melisandre. Well, if she knows, she hasn't mentioned anything. Well, my my thought there is just that the Lord of Light is fully capable of telling different priests different stuff depending on whatever. Lord of Light wants, you know what I mean? And so the ones over in Westeros who don't necessarily, he is having them lay the groundwork for whatever the larger plan is. But it's also just this question. I see one of the things that I love just about the mythology of um, what's going on in this whole series is they clearly set up this idea of, well, there's the White Walkers. They're obviously bad, right? They're super evil. They like to kill babies and stuff. They're all frozen ice and zombies and stuff like that. And so what's their opposite? Well, the Lord of Light, all fire, and it's the opposite, and warmth and and light against the darkness, and yet they're super creepy too, and you start to feel like, can I just abstain? Yeah. We just stick to the old gods. Yeah. It's the Vorlons in the shadows. That's awesome. <laughs> a nice going, Tyrion, immediately getting spotted. Not that mm-hmm. she, we know that she knows who he is or anything, but. I think he is not fully internalized. He, he sort of talks about having lost everything. But he still, like, if he can't be sort of his his charming, witty self, like, like, who even is he anymore after that? And so the problem is he just doesn't appreciate that there are people even here. Like, he feels like he's lost everything and left everything behind. It's a little bit like what we talked about with Reek is, you know, when you, you've separated yourself from everything else. And I think Tyrion feels like that's what's happened more than it actually has. And, um, and so that's why he underestimates that the, you know, the danger, even though Varys is continually trying to insist to him, you know, it's like, I am only letting you do this at all because I'm worried that you are going to do something stupider if I let you out of my sight. 
And so, <laughs> yep. and of course, um, you know, who who should we find but someone who would be extra upset by a whore dressed up as Danny? <laughs> Prostitute cosplay is sweeping the globe. Yeah, I mm-hmm. thought those bracers looked familiar. <laughs> no. Um. So, Chooch, what did you, you know, so what? What Jorah said when he grabbed Tyrion is, I'm taking you to the queen. So Viv tweeted something, I think, when we were watching the episode along the lines of, you just never made that sound at the end of an episode. (laughs) (laughs) It was pretty remarkable. I bust out laughing. He laughed like it was the funniest Amy Schumer or Uh, Bob City skit. They're going to the queen anyways. And... (laughs) I must I'm I now think I was completely wrong. He has not been raising an army. He's been at the bottom of a bottle <laughs> and crying and looking at and now, oh, hey, oh, She'll take me back. I got him. I got him. She'll take me back. Um so you think he's taking her to Danny? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about it. Yeah, yeah. Just, that was my assumption. Yeah, I think that's why. I think that's why the question was asked. Mm. Well, remember, I... Cersei's offering a lordship, which would be a pardon. Oh shit! Yeah, I didn't think of that. Now it's not so funny, is it, my oh. boy? <laughs> no, but it was. I mean, I gotta give him credit. I laughed too. Mm-hmm. Because it was just, I mean, they had just done the big shot of the huge city and all these twisty term, turns off the bridge and blah, 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 and tiny little houses and big buildings and little, you know, looked very like ramshackle kind of thousands and thousands of homes. And then they just happened to end up at a table five feet from Jorah. I mean, with a Danny cosplay hooker. It just is, a, it was a little, it was a little reaching, in my opinion. There's more than one brothel in Volantis. I think we can agree on this. I would that is still how it happened in the books. <laughs> similar. Similar, yes. It I wasn't don't... a Danny cosplayer. It was just somebody that Tyrion well, was like, he looks a lot like Danny. The, the point that it was just a coincidence that uh, they happened to show up at the same brothel that Jorah was yes. at. But, and then that he's able to sneak off and snatch Tyrion. It was, I laughed too. I got to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So when he laughed, I was like, yeah, that was I think that was one of, I mean, Peter Dinklage was amazing. He always is. He loves pissing off those high walls. We know that. But I mean, (laughs) I mean, Jorah just to me, again, seems like a sad romantic novel character that thinks he's the lead and the good guy. He is another perfect example of the characters in this series that believe the stories. And yeah. think that the real the world should really work that way, and are constantly frustrated and disappointed when it doesn't. Mm. Yep. Um, I, mm. Without going into what happened in the books, because that's just not important, um, because things are different. Um, I'm just really happy that Tyrion's interaction with the prostitutes is very different than what happened in the books. And I guess I should take back what I said about him not learning about Taisha and not getting so low because I much preferred to see that than what happened in the books. Yeah. 
is uh, much more self-destructive in a way that harms others in the books. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. But he's still Tyrion in the show, which yeah. is nice. He's mm-hmm. not still Tyrion. At that it make me wonder the Jorah Tyrion um, if this was premeditated and set up, like how he happened to be there, and if somehow mm-hmm. Varys set it up and. I can't imagine why he would because he's been taking Tyrion all his way, but mm-hmm. he was right behind him and he looked and saw yeah. oh, he had just taken off to go take a and leak. And it was Varys that was doing the communications with Jorah in the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it definitely crossed my mind that something something weird's going on there, but it doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. to me since why would yeah. he have taken Tyrion only- all this way? We did we did also see Varys looking concerned when he lost track of Tyrion. Yes. So but that at, at, mm, but I I was laughing partly just in terms well you know not only the irony because you know my even though obviously the line can be taken either way my thought it was the same in terms of when it the equivalent moment happened too is that for me just based on who Jorah is my immediate conclusion was well it yeah he wants to get back in Danny's good graces he doesn't care about going back to Westeros. That's not what he's about. Um, but uh, in any case, that's, that's, that was my interpretation in this equivalent spot. And so I, I agree there, but like, so with that expectation, this idea of, you know, from Tyrion, he's so fed up about being in this luxurious traveling coach. Yes. <laughs> and so it's like, Oh, so maybe in you know exchange, you can uh, make it the rest of the way uh, as the prisoner of someone who doesn't like you. <laughs> you can go in a sack now. <laughs> I do kind of like that. Out of sight. <laughs> well, that was the episode. We have any yeah. any ratings? Ratings. Okay. Who wants to go first? Ten out of ten. <laughs> and for Viv. Hmm. I I'm I'm trying to think. I I know the number, but I'm trying to think of the uh the thing to choose. Um, I'm going to choose nine out of ten morning sword lessons. Nice. Nine out of ten morning sword. Lessons. Can I say giggity? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Brienne and Pod. <laughs> you can still say giggity though. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to settle on my rating. Um there's some really good stuff that happened. Not sure if I want to go to a full nine, so I'm gonna get it eight point five out of ten in years cosplay. <laughs> nice. I'll go eight out of ten faces of death. Ooh, nice. Yeah, that was a good one. That gives us a cumulative of 8.9 out of 10. Technically, I may have rated it as an 11 because I gave it a 10 and all my scores are started (laughs) with the one zero period. So I guess I gave it an 11. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) And next week's episode is called The Sons of the Harpy. So um, as far as our survey question, number of new named characters... 
like I said I, earlier, if we want to count only named characters, then I think only the High Sparrow qualifies this week. But if we want to also include other significant characters, whether or not they got a name, then I think we could potentially count the High Sparrow, of course, the Red Priestess that Tyrion and Varys listen to, or that Tyrion talks to, and of course the girl in the House of Black and White. But that would be, you know, but three of those didn't get names. So if we want to be strict with the names. Three of them didn't get names, and we don't know if we're ever going to see them again either. We may never yeah. see unnamed girl again. Or mm-hmm. the Red Priestess. So, like I said, I, I, I was it. just keeping track of the characters that were not just like, um, you know, extras. Because that's kind of how we described it last time, right. is not extras. Totally, yeah, named characters and that, yeah, I'm fine with that count. They did name, so, John named the guy in charge of building the latrine, but I don't know if he was previously Um, I known. Did he say the name? I think he, he said, good job for a ginger. No, no, he said I, his name. Yeah, he said his name, and then mm-hmm. he said, it's a good job for a ginger. I did pick up on that little, that little mm-hmm. thing, comment. Well... It but we may have seen him already. Yeah, that that's my thought. Is I did yeah. I assumed it was somebody we already knew. I mm. I would think that then that the answer is one. Yep. Dude, she got an argument to throw down at Christiane on her count. Other than I guessed more, no. <laughs> <laughs> I guessed four. So it would have been four if I if we had gone by my other less strict count. Anyway, though. <laughs> well, I mean, I went by the, the same rules as it had to be a named person's death in order to count on those counts. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of, I, that's why I agree with Christiana's. Well, I was thinking, though, that, it, yeah, just like it, it, whether or not it was someone we're going to see again or someone where we got the name where I was just thinking it's like having an actual conversation, like being in a scene and not just a shot. But, you know, having them interact with the main characters in a meaningful way. But at the same time, we did say named characters and only one of those four got a name. Yes, I was just fair. checking the email to see if there were other. Um, other. Uh, listener surveys released, I forgot to gather them beforehand. <laughs> it looks like. There was one. There was only one from Nobilis. You had guessed um, two. Well, I think, is he closest? <laughs> he went over, though. Yep. Yeah. If we go with the one, which is like the one I think is more accurate. I'm sorry, Nobilis. Um, <laughs> but I think if we, if, we, if we include one, we have to include. Yeah. yeah. And I had guessed four. like five. <laughs> yeah. I, I guessed three. I guessed one. I don't know how many I guessed. I decide I think that it should count as one. I don't even know what I guessed. (laughs) (laughs) I don't see it here now. I'm sure I went over. (laughs) (laughs) I think everybody went over. I thought we were going to meet more people and, and, uh, I don't know why I, I, I I imagine the Arya's journey was going to be like, barracks and stuff <laughs> so there yeah. was going to be a bunch of other young recruits to yeah. get in shenanigans with <laughs> that's what i expected i i do like this uh this 
thing to guess though new characters over death mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me too. do you want to just do that one again yeah i think we should stick keep yeah. it rolling all right it's easier for you to count <laughs> i doubt we're gonna get like oh and this is tom and this is dick and this right. is harry and that's <laughs> Clyde and inky and Lincoln, you know <laughs> well sometimes it's tricky because like what if they don't say the name in the show yeah. but they are given a name in other material or something like that mm. kind of like with mosador last week you know it's like i don't know that i remember them ever saying that was his name but then i remember reading in other material that that's who that was mm. right interesting all right i think that wraps it up Okay. Yeah, we have no we have no extra feedback. We have nothing in the Q and A. All right. Everybody's ready for bed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Very much so. All right. Well, thank everybody for viewing and everybody for listening. And we will talk to you in a week. (laughs) Bye. Bye. If you have feedback for the Beyond the Wall podcast, you can email us at btw at specficmedia.com. You can also leave us a comment on the website. Go to specficmedia.com where you'll find a shiny BTW button that'll take you right to our page. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike, 3.0, Unported License. Feel free to share and remix. Just give us credit and don't charge money for it. Oh, that really, really good. Wow, that was a great start. I lost my tab. This is your first podcast. Hello. Welcome, everyone, <laughs> to season five of Spectrum.